That's well presents Chords. Today we are joined by Chris Brock, who in my opinion is among the greatest surfers, adventurers, trailblazers and storytellers this country has ever produced. We've had him on a live show in the past at the Northern in Byron, which is worth listening to, but we didn't even scratch the surface of Brocky's story that night, so we were always going to get him on again for a proper long-form chat. And what a journey this was. The son of a single father from the beachside slum of Bondi, better known as Scum Valley in those days. Brocky was an elite rugby league player as a Grom, representing the Eastern Suburbs Roosters in the under-18s while also making the state finals in surfing. A close friend of the great Kevin the Head Brennan, Brocky escaped the inner city grind for the north coast of New South Wales, where he lived in a tent on the beach at Byron, the tree houses at Angari, and eventually did a stint at the iconic nudist colony in Kauai, known as Taylor's Camp. The link to the documentary about this amazing place is in the show notes, along with a link to the Celebrate Rifles track, Kev the Head, in honour of Kevin Brennan. Brocky's got waves in Albie Fowzon's Morning of the Earth and George Greeno's Innermost Limits of Pure Fun. He's had tracks, magazine covers, and more than anything, epitomises the tenets of a core surfing existence. His courage and commitment to living a worldly, peaceful, passionate surfing life is something that any surfer of any age can learn from. Thanks for being here, Brocky. Yeah, and, uh, it is, Sweet as kid. Joy said, mate, it's so good to be here with another refugee from the big smoke, from the shitty rip bowls of Bondi Beach. And, yeah. Uh, you've done good, mate. Yeah. Up here at Lennox, you got a slice of the point named after you. <laughs> mate, you're one of the eastern suburbs, absolute finest, right up there with... Uh, all the great rugby league players, Russell Fairfax, uh, Shane Haran. You're in the pantheon of Eastern Suburbs, great. So it's an absolute... Oh, feels good, feels good. <laughs> and we're actually... Jack, Jack Louis Mays. Oh, yeah. Jack yeah. Mays. Uh, so your generation, so who are we talking like? Kevin Brennan, yeah, Jack Kevin Mays. Brennan. Uh, no, no, yeah, Jack Mays was an older guy. Right. Yeah, Jack Mays, uh, you know, but, but he was one that looked up. He used to actually write a, uh, a little bit in the paper, in the Sunday paper on, on surfing. He had a surfing column. Yep. He was probably the first one with it, yeah. And uh, Vic Ford and Ron Ford. Yeah, that they were after my era. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so they were, they were just after me. And Shane, they were kind of Shane's era. Yeah. They may have been, well, there was a few brothers in that family, so it would have spanned quite a few years, you know, the... The Ford family. Yeah. Amazing, man. And off mic before we started this, we, we were just having a yarn. I saw the Roosters jersey hanging up there. And uh, it's one of the things I, I really like about you, but it, it's also just part of growing up in the eastern suburbs is that you play football and, and you surf generally. And at some point, um, you got to choose uh, because you can't really do both to an elite level. Uh, but you you kind of have come closer than almost anyone I can think of to doing both at an yeah. elite level. You were, you were playing Jersey Flag for the Roosters? Yeah, yeah. I got out early. You know, I got out. Well, Jersey Flag was under 18 then in those right. days. Yeah. was President's Cup was the under 21. Yeah, I got out early. You know, I had – I really loved surfing, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. I had a few friends through surfing that were in the rugby league too, the Monies from the Central Coast. And uh, Bill, 
Bill played into his later years and he, he said uh, uh, about Saturday afternoon the gravel ratchets had gone. You know, Saturday morning he could have a surf because it'd be, it'd be scrapes on him, you know, stinging all week if he went in the salt water. And then Sunday where they played their major games when he was in, he'd be, he'd be grazed again, you know, and stinging all week again. <laughs> yeah, how is it, eh? That, that, it's a funny balance trying to manage uh, football and surfing. Like they don't really go together. No. Like you're sore, uh, you, you're stiff. Uh, and especially when I was playing, you know, there's an expectation that you're going to do a lot of weights and conditioning and suddenly you almost for have to get a whole new quiver. Like you're, you're all blocked up yeah, and it's too no, big no good boards. for surfers, you know. They've got to be – you've got to be supple, you know. Your body's got to be supple. I remember doing – surf schools for Shane around 2000 when the Olympics were on and I had these guys from uh, Norway. They were rowers. One of them won a medal too and I, I was doing surf lessons down here with them and uh, I had him first time paddling. I got him standing and everything, big muscly guy. He was standing on the beach going, I'm a fucking weakling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a weakling. <laughs> Oh, funny. That's so yeah, you got Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because paddling, I mean, far out paddle fitness, it, it's brutal and it, it, it deteriorates so quick too. It's- yeah, oh, exactly, exactly. You really know that when you get older and you get an injury and it takes a little bit longer to get back in the water. Uh, yeah, you, you really need to do some paddling. That's why I kind of ride everything. You know, I ride, I still ride, I don't have like a, a performance longboard like a Mal. I ride a little... A little board, but a little bit bigger that suits me. Paddle's good and everything. But I've got an old-style mail like I grew up on. And I love getting it on that. Has been like that for me for about three decades now. On those small days and you're on that, you're knee paddling, you're walking the nose, you know, you, you, your memories of when you were a kid go back. Because I had at least 10 over years riding the mails, you know, because I started surfing like in the late 50s or surfers in the early 50s and board in the late 50s. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're saying, you know, you and Joy were just out there on the on the, the mats. Yeah, the on the, mat, mats. the mats. The mats are just fantastic because there's a technique to use them properly, and and the feeling is amazing. It's uh, it's like you're on a hovercraft or something, you know, going over the water. It's fantastic, and the the control that you have to have, and and a lot of times you you're with waves that no one else is interested in. So just surfing with not many people. Yeah. It's a little bit right now the foil's kind of like that type of wave, you know, that fills up where you can keep the mat running or a board will stop, you know. A lot of times you can keep the mat. If you can stay with that energy on the wave, which is another great thing of the mat, you're following that energy along that wall and staying with it, L- looking for that trough again, you know. And yet once you get in one of those troughs, you just start fucking flying. And if you can hang up high, little slides. That's why I say to the young kids, I'm fucking frothing when it's troughing. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Man, and it, what you said is so true. I mean, that's surfing in a nutshell, isn't it? It's connecting with, with the energy of the ocean and you can use so many different crafts to, to connect with that energy. And that energy seems to pass through to us and, and, and innovate us for oh, the rest exactly. of the day. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice if you can look at surfing in those ways. You know, a lot of people don't look at it, and they're they're the type of people that fall by the wayside, and it's not really their their full lifestyle, because I think they're doing it for them a little bit 
wrong reasons a lot of times, you know. Uh, you know, to be part of the fashion or something like that, you know, instead of the real love for it. And and I, I love it. I look at all, all sport is there's a technique to do it properly. And if you fall into that technique, it's going to keep sports injury away and, you know, keep you fit as well. Yeah, so uh, it's a necessity, you know, I think, to be active. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, you're both looking amazing. Yeah, well, well actually, Jed, since I've uh, – as I've got older, I've had to learn that I need to stretch or otherwise I'm sore after everything I do, you know, because I've got a property here that, that I look after. That's part of my rent for here. And I have big big lawns I've got to mow. Well, after mowing one of them for an old guy my age – I'd be fucking sore as anything if I didn't stretch. You gotta stretch your hamstrings. That's the most important thing. Hamstrings and your quads, and it just everything seems to fall into place when you do that. And I just feel so much younger. And and the good thing, like it's gotta hurt when you do it. If it doesn't hurt, it doesn't really uh, do its job properly. And I always think with that hurt, when I, it's only for a few minutes, and it stops all day of soreness you know I see I sit down watching the boardwalk you know people walking up and down and so many people have got a limp and a hobble you know it's all from not really stretching well you know I shouldn't really say that because someone could have had an accident or something but but it's generally a lot of times it's from it's from not stretching your body properly mm. but kind of I think uh, you see all animals stretch you see your dog stretching out but humans aren't really like that yeah, it's what we were talking about before, discipline. You've got to be able to discipline yourself. I've never had that through most of my life, uh, the discipline for it. I've always just gone with the feel of everything, you know, and, uh, you know, so it's something that I've had to learn and try to adapt into my lifestyle is to have a little bit of discipline. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's right. doing it, yeah. Yeah, that you're, you're still growing and evolving as a human being and you're still on the journey and that's what it's all about. Uh, it's interesting. I think the problem a lot of people have with discipline, particularly where it applies physical uh, stuff like exercise and, mm. and stretching, mm. is that there is this bit of discomfort there. Yeah, that's and, right. And that immediately starts to raise questions in the mind, like why am I doing this or why is life this way? Why is – why? Is there this discomfort? Like it's good for you, but it feels unpleasant. And and people like myself included have this constant struggle with that. Like we want everything to be nice and fun and feel good. It's just not how it works. <laughs> That's how I've been all my life, as I said. <laughs> I've been that. But you're fine. Yeah, especially when you got older. You know, if you want to do the things that you want to do all the time, you've just got to have that little bit of you know uh, uh, uncomfortable feeling for a while. And it's not. You know, it's. Uh, after a while, you kind of enjoy it. You enjoy to look for it, you know. It might be a little bit hard going in, but after your 15th breath, I might do 30 or 60 breaths doing an exercise. After your 15th, fuck, it's all right now. This is cool, you know. I'll get through this, okay. But to sit down and start it, fuck, it's hard a lot of times. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Yeah, it's it actually is. sitting down and starting yeah. it. And yeah. that, that bit of pain... And discomfort that you lean into, that's the important bit, is yeah. leaning into it. And, you know, yeah, it might be five minutes of discomfort or, or whatever, but it gives you a whole day of play in which yeah, you can yeah, uh, yeah. do the things you want to do and achieve right, the things yeah. you want to do. And you, you kind of have to remind yourself of that on the at the outset. You know, mm -hmm. that's, yeah, mm -hmm. the hard part is just yeah. getting yourself to sit down or stand up and, and do the work. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. And um, 
you know, what does surfing mean to you these days? Oh, well, it's, it's always been part of my lifestyle and I guess, you know, because of that, I've always lived by the beach. So it's been my part of lifestyle. I'm the, I've never been a person with money to be able to live by the beach. I just seem to be able to stumble into the nice places to live, you know. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's part of my lifestyle. I, I think just even being in the water, like if there's no surf, I'll enjoy a swim, you know, where I'll lob along. Yeah, you know, not just a plop, plop in and plop out. I'll lob along, you know, and get a nice stroke going. We often do that in here. We're lucky we've got a nice place to swim, you know, in the ocean here. And, and it's really, you know, it's a, a lot of times that, that replaces the surf if the surf's not there, you know. You, yeah. Yeah. Just charging up. Yeah. In the ocean and and once again, it's that, it's that uh, technique that you look, that I, that keeps me going. You know, I'll lob in and kind of glide along and no longer getting a nice stroke, you know, it's, yeah. Mate, rewinding the clock, going back to your early days in Bondi, can you describe the place for us and give us a bit of an insight into your, to your upbringing now? I thought you might ask me that one. <laughs> yeah, it was a multicultural area, you know, the biggest multicultural area they say in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, because it was after the war through the 50s. A lot of people are getting out of Europe. That's where I learnt from my dad that there's good and bad in all the cultures, you know, there's good and bad people in all of them. You can't just label anyone for just what they are. That is such yeah, a so lesson. It was such a good place to grow up. Yeah. Jed, yeah, yeah. In that way. You know, I'm, I feel really lucky like that and some of the things that, you know, I experienced, they were all, the eastern suburbs were full of, it was all trams running around. You know, we had tram, tram tracks, which was a lot of fun as a kid, riding on the trams. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the pub, well, at Bondi Beach School that I went to on the beach there at Campbell Parade, there was uh, a girls and a guys. There was boys and girls section. And in the girls there was about 400 students and the boys there was 400. Wow. So it was a big family kind of place, you know, people servicing the, the city area, you know, in those days without machines and that, people had to do jobs, you know. There was a lot more work for people probably then because I remember being back there, yeah, years later, around with, around 2000, you know, early 2000s, and Bondi Beach schools walked by for their swimming carnival at Bondi Bars, and there was about 60 kids. Yeah, dwindled you know, right yeah. off. Yeah, I mean, I guess as all that, so that was 2000, you said? Yeah, it was about that. Okay. There wasn't many. There wasn't many yeah. kids. Yeah, I'm not too sure what happened there. I was still living, actually, we only just moved to Bondi. We moved there in 94. For a couple of years, like we were itinerant, me and my mum were just renting like mm -hmm. wherever we could find, like similar to yourself really, like mm -hmm. trying to just find cheap rent around the city. So that meant living in Bondi in 94, I think, and then moving back to Bronny and moving all around the country. And then, Geez, yeah, she had you in a good area. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we were still affordable then. Yeah, you know, yeah well, that's right. Uh, that's right. We, we, we were paying like. Yeah, we're paying like four hundred dollars uh, a week in a four bedder, so mm -hmm. we're splitting it with another single mum and her kid, yeah, and um, making it work. But that was yeah, two thousand. We moved back there and uh, lived there for another kind of all my high school years. Went to Waverley there up on the hill, and yeah, yeah. She's um, Waverley College. Yeah. Geez, your mum did good sending you to Waverley yeah, College. Yeah. That was no, that's a good feat for your mum to do that. Well, yeah, the family chipped in. You know, got a 
Fantastic. Big supportive family from our Forbes yeah, out there yeah, in the yeah, Central yeah, yeah. West. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everyone goes to Catholic school in my family. They're yeah. diehard Catholics. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it was cheap. You know, not an expensive school. Yeah, oh, that's good. Waverley yeah. and Marsland were both the, the, the cheapest kind of Irish Catholic I see. Yeah. Blue collar schools yep, in the, the yep. city, really. You'd, you, Waverley, you'd get kids coming from all over the city because uh, you know, a lot of migrant families too, just because you know, they want to put their kid in a trusted kind of institution. Mm. I use those words advisedly. Obviously, the Catholic Church has uh, yeah, smeared yeah, itself yeah, in all yeah. kinds of disgrace, yeah, but yeah. no one got diddled when I was there, as far as I know. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but Bondi was, like you said, very multicultural place uh you know i can remember well, it uh, still is today isn't it you i guess know, so i don't know like uh when it was affordable it definitely was and mm, interesting mm. to grow up in well there was more big big families right. you know in those you know there was a lot of kids there was a lot of kids there was a lot of kids actually with broken families i could probably count on one hand all my mates that they had their mum and dad yeah exactly you yeah know, which was uh yeah, like I, 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 I was from a broken family. I grew up with two brothers and my dad. Right. Single my dad parent, was yeah. like, you know, oh, my mum left probably when I was about 10 or something like that. Mm. And my, it kind of affected, it did affect me. I can see that in later life, you know, when I look back on some of the things I've done, it has had an effect. And my two younger brothers have both died. Wow. And, and uh, you know, through kind of things that, I can see that could have been related to it for the paths that they took, you know. Both both had good lives, you know. You know, my my uh, second one down just died a little while ago, and he was a librarian and an excellent teacher, but he was really prone to worry, mm. and he had a few worrying things that come into his life, and then he died of pancreatic cancer, mm. you know, which he diagnosed himself with it. Uh, because he was a librarian and he knew what to look up. He rang me up and he said, I, I haven't been to the doctor yet, but I think I'm going to die. I've got pancreatic cancer and there's no coming back, you know. And uh, it wasn't long when he did die. Fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to hear that. No, yeah. It's all that, you know, where, you know, whether it's related to that or not, I don't know. We've, but I think, it, I think that has something to do with the paths that they take. Mm. You know, the, the, the younger brother, he died earlier even still. He was always looking for a family, you know. He ended up, he had like uh, five daughters, I think. He's got four, four daughters, you know. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's interesting, man. Yeah, single parents. Uh, there was so many in Bondi mm. back mm. in the day. Um, mm. And I guess maybe because I had one that I was exposed to, you know, my mum had friends that, that were also single parents, but it seemed like there were so many. Yeah, uh, yeah. It yeah. like it was almost more, but, more common than not. Yeah. Um, I kind of, it was not a bad thing for me when I was young because I kind of had a lot of freedom, you know. My dad was real supportive of everything we did. He was actually like the dad to heaps of kids. Mm. Like Kevin Brennan has always been at our place. He, you know, sometime, one time I'd come back and he'd been riding me board and all – no, Johnson had got it, the, the beach inspector. That was one of all – Johnson only lived a couple of doors down from me too. So, yeah, they'd, they'd uh, take your board and, you know, uh, confiscate it for like three months or – I think months. I lost that for six weeks, that one. Wow. Yeah, it was real heavy there and you had to have a sticker on it, you know. Yeah, the register with the, you had the, with register the clubbies, it, right? Yeah, yeah, How yeah. crazy is that? Yeah, yeah with, the count, with the council. Had, the, had to have the council sticker on your board. Uh, yeah, well, there, there was a few deaths with the – because like in, in the 50s, 
it was mainly that plot that uh, uh, wood frame plywood construction boards. It was at least fifty percent oh. of them, which came from before the war. There was uh, a magazine called, uh, which I may even still go today. Someone told me, called Popular Science, and there was the plans in it apparently to make a toothpick, which was a 16-footer, <laughs> you know, so there was a lot of those around. Actually, Joy's uh, uncle made one down at Evans Head. They reckon he used to come in on his head, standing on his head, you know, on it. And, yeah, I think there was little pockets of guys that got these plans and built them. From this magazine. But that was, you know, like in the 50s, they were all leaning against the, the you know, the railing at Bondi with the corks out, letting the... Letting the water out. Dead set. Yeah. They were the first boards that I ever paddled on was those things. Oh, and th- there was the odd kind of Malibu one around. Right. Yeah, because in the mid-50s they came, the Malibu kind of one. They used to put a bit of wood on the ply- on the side of the, the plywood ones, you know, and they made them a little bit shorter. Right. Yeah. So that's the – so how does your surfing journey begin? It begins uh, – in the 50s. Surfer planes. Surfer planes. At North Bondi. Right. The cl- in the, the corner. The, the right of North passage. Bondi in, in summertime when the, when the, the nor'easter nor winds like a westerly. Yeah. That's why you get Magic. I had the worst burns on my lip. And I've been back there since when when Dad was, was uh, dying, when he was sick. I spent about a month, six weeks down there. And I was surfing all the time on the mall, little waves. It was so beautiful. And... I got the same thing as what I did when I was really young, the, just the raw r- lips, you know, <laughs> yeah. from, from like you're in a westerly all day there at Bondi. And so you're coming of age alongside Kevin the head, Brennan. You know, you talk about people from single-parent homes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, just... oh, Kevin was, was that, yeah. Yeah. Kevin was, was he, he was often at our place, you mm. know, Kev. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kevin the head, they used to call him. And it wasn't because of drugs yet. It was because it was he had a big head and he was just a little body. But he was, he was an amazing surfer. He was real. You might see there's some great shots of him in Paul Witzig's movie, yeah. uh, The Hot Generation. Parallel well, stancing and Yeah, just, yeah, switching feet, you yeah. know, to Orange Skies, uh, Love. You know, that was the music to that. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. And he was a proper, you know, a proper kind of street urchin character, like, you know, often kicking around the streets, nowhere Yeah, he stay, was a really like... good, he was a really good snooker and pool, and pool player. Right. He was a he was pretty good hustler at that, you know. Uh, they used to play this one because we had the School of Arts and things like that and people would play a lot of pool and that in them days and, yeah, it was good. Yeah, he kind of, they used to play one for money and he used to often uh, be able to win at that. Yeah. Because uh, and he ended up. One one time he come down, Jed, and he he. Uh, this was one of the older guys told me this. It was a year or so before I, you know, was down at the south end on the boards. He was there quite early, hence his ability on them. You know, uh, no one had seen him through the winter. And one of the guys said to him, "It was Dennis Lindsay." Told me he, he said, "Well, where you been?" And he said, "Oh, I do other things." <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what? And he said, I, I uh, roller skate. I'm the state champion now. <laughs> and they said, oh, bullshit. And then the next day he brought his trophies down to show everyone. No way. That he was roller skate champion, yeah. Mate, he's one of the great characters. I was fortunate enough uh, to watch the Celebrate Rifles. You know the Celebrate Rifles? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I was thinking as soon as you said, Kevin, 
because uh, Lovelock got on to me because oh. he knew that our family was friend, you know, that he hung at our place a lot. And so he got on to my dad. I said, Dad was still alive. And I said, get on to my dad and he might be able to tell you where the mum lives, you know. Oh. I don't know. And, and then one day Dad happened to see the mum hop on. He, he was talking to her and he said, oh, she hopped on a bus to this suburb. And then a while later... A few months later, Damien got back to me and he said, I tracked her down. No way. Yeah. He tracked her down and he went there and they told him to, to let it ride, you know, don't do anything. Why don't you do one on that young or midget Farrelly, you know, like, you know, why do you do something on that? They were trying to turn him away from it, you know. And he kind of sensed something and looked a little deeper into the history of his family and the breakup and everything and... And you can see that that's why he was away a lot, you know, uh, getting all... Yeah, because he'd go... His mum would come over to my place and say, Chris, have you seen Kevin? And I said, oh, yeah, I seen him last weekend at Manly because we'd travel everywhere because the surf was so shitty at Bondi and your bludge rides, surf right. all over the coast. I seen him at Manly. She said, oh, I haven't heard from him for six weeks. You know, next time you see him or you, you know, tell him to give me a ring or something to tell me I'm all right, you know. And I said, yeah, all right, all right. But, but he'd, he'd often do that. You know, he'd just go off surfing and just stay with the surfers in that area. One day, we used to ride our bikes everywhere. And one day we rode up to Narrabeen and Peter Ray was staying in this flat right at North Narrabeen with, uh, I think it was Danny Keogh's sister, someone said. And, and Kevin just said, oh, I'm staying here. He had a real little bike. <laughs> His, his, his feet were going around about two to three to one of ours, you know, <laughs> all the way over there. Yeah, we'd ride into Central and uh, into the Quay yep. uh, and Circular Quay and get on the ferry and go to Manly and then right up the coast. Wow. We'd often do that right down the Cronulla. Wow, know, yeah. that's wild. That's like, yeah. I mean, for people listening who aren't from Sydney, that's a, that's a huge section of the city you're traversing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vehicles. But you're going, yeah, going by the beaches and, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah, back to Kevin and the Celebrate Rifles, that connection. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, Damien immortalised Kevin in song. Yeah, uh, And yeah. I was fortunate enough to cop a live rendition of that at a board riders prezzo uh, at the oh, beach yeah. road, I don't know, a long oh, time yeah, ago. Cool. But s- an, an amazing, amazing figure, Kevin. And it's, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and Damien and the Celebrate Rifles, rest in peace to, to Damien, yeah, obviously, yeah, too. Yeah, but yeah, that's, yeah. Um, for me, like, that's really kind of where... Yeah, in a lot of ways, Bondi's surfing culture and tradition emanates a lot from the spirit of Kevin, and he, he was a like a, a real beacon for so many kids who grew up in that same lifestyle, mm, single mm. parent, um, you know, on the streets from a young age, mm. and uh, an absolute weapon. I see, like you know, a lot of Kobe Abaddon, for example, in someone like yeah, Kevin yeah, Brennan, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. just a, a, an Eastern Suburbs battler. Yeah, who, a lot, a lot. Who passed way too soon, but left a tremendous imprint on mm. surfing. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's lo- lovely that he's remembered. You know that that's great. Yeah, they had that. that I think they used to have a painting thing for him at, down there. The uh, the, the bicycle stance one, the shot of him, if anyone's ever seen the bicycles, bicycle stance, and he had the, the a Jack Eden shot, I think it is. And, uh, yeah, well, he won the two trophies. He won the juniors and the seniors of the state title. That's what that song was about, that that was his greatest day and he never really knew that, you know, didn't realise that was his greatest day. Yeah. And then, so you must have been there for the birth of... 
Well, I believe Bondi Board Riders are the club uh, or, what, or Wind and Sea or, or one of those. No, no well, first it was South Bondi Board Club. South Bondi Board Club. And this was the <laughs> first Board Riders Club in the country, I believe. Yeah, yeah, well, how, yeah how that started, one of the guys that did it told me, I always ask the old guys the right questions, I reckon, because I got some great old guy information. Yeah, he said, uh, Roger Mohol, and he used to be in Bondi Surf Club, there was three of them that had boards, which most of those early board makers and that that I talked about earlier, they were all, they had something to do with the surf club, you know, that was their, their touch. And they used to have a surf boat, there was a cave that Bondi, South Bondi Board Club had to put all their boards in, in the southern corner. And that used to have the surf boat in, but they, they did... They did a, like a garage on the side of the Bondi Surf Club in the centre of the beach. You probably maybe even remember that. It was on the northern side. And then they started to keep the boat there and that had nothing in it. So Roger ap- ap- approached them and said, can we use that to put our boards in? And that was the start of South Bondi Board Club. Right. Yeah, I think, I think it might have been 56 or 58, something like that. I think it, yeah. Was, and, yeah, and how intense was the rivalry between clubbies and, and surfers in those days? Oh, I mean, yeah. oh, it existed it just, into my my generation, so I, yeah. I can't imagine how fierce it would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not just, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, some funny things happened there. There was this. There was uh, Benny Hutchings, Terry Hutchings. I don't know if you heard. He he came from the surf club, and he uh, we used to call him uh, Ben. Because he rode Ben Buckle, they used to ride Ben Buckle Point when it was huge. Jack Bluey Mays was amazing out there, but anyway, he wanted to be with the surfers, you know. So he come to the surfers milk bar, which was Powell's, right in the centre of Campbell Parade there, opposite the park. And he go, and uh, Wayne Packham's a real heavy, and he said, Ben, if you want to hang with the surfers, you got to go inside and pu- punch Billy Barr in the head. That was the owner of the the milk bar. Wow, that's some and outlaw <laughs> shit. <laughs> but this. This is what used to happen, you know, these dares. And he went in and punched him in the head and he got barred from the milk bar for life, but he got in with the surface. (laughs) 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 That's wild. Yeah, but, yeah, it was. And so you are, you know, the, the forerunner to what becomes like one of the great generations of Australian surfing talent that comes out of Bondi, uh, you know, you had uh, in that generation that come up under you, like Shane Han- uh, Haran, Ant and Steve Corrigan, yeah. uh, you know, Bill Powers. And, and uh, what's-the-name moved there. They moved that. They actually were just down the road from me, but he wasn't there when I was there, which Richard Cram. Richard Cram, Paul Cram. I think they yeah. came from, uh, they were New Zealand, as someone told me. I didn't know I could have it wrong, but moved over. He still surfs pretty good today, Richard. He was here a couple of years ago with Sloth. Oh, and, uh, Gerhard? Yeah, Sloth yeah, Gerhard. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah he was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. G-Land guy. I know all these right. guys from, the, you yeah. know, young, yeah, they're, young, they're all younger than me, but I've met them in later life. Yeah. And it's just... You know, classic character after classic character, you know. That's what my dad always loved about it. The characters of the people that are involved in surfing, you know. Yeah. And, and he, he wasn't a surfer dad. He couldn't even swim, you know. I remember when I, I was lifeguarding in the 90s around here and I was stoked. I, I got on to dad and I said, oh, thanks so much for, for getting Orb to teach me how to swim. 
you know, and he said, oh, I could never swim and I was made sure my son was going to be learn how to swim. <laughs> That's amazing. Tell us a bit about your dad. So, you know, what did he do for a living? And Well, he, he used to just be a wharfie. He oh, was he, a, he's down at Botany. Yeah, yeah, he used to work on the wharves. But, it, yeah, it was a shame. He was such a good carpenter. He made all these in these uh, – he helped his dad build a house. Uh, they squatted beside Long Bay Jail, his dad, in the wow. 30s. And my dad helped him build the house. There was quite a few brothers and he had a poultry farm there. It was on the La Perouse side of Long Bay Jail. Yep. They, he had a poultry farm. And they moved them out and gave him a housing commission in about the late 60s or something like that, in the 60s. In Bondi? No, they gave him one at Maroubra. Yeah. Yeah, and and actually there was a character that in later life he grew up in the flat. Yeah, it was amazing out there. That's where, you know, that's a bit I'd like to tell you about. uh, It was all bush all the way to Little Bay. And then La Perouse on further. You know that area. I do. My mum lived in Little Bay for a bit. Yeah, I know know the area. Well, it was all bush through there, you know, and there were... There was heaps of rabbits, and my grad, my dad grew. I mean, my granddad grew chooks, pop, pop rock. He was, yeah. And there was heaps of red belly black snakes. Wow. And there was, it wasn't very far to the cliffs and the and the ocean. So I reckon pops roosters were the first to crow in the eastern suburbs, which is <laughs> funny. And the other funny thing is that in that bushland there was heaps of rabbits, and when the footy when they league first started, souths were green and they used to trap their colour green jumpers. This is what my granddad told me. They were green jumpers and they used to trap the rabbits in the bushland and they'd skin them and sell them before the game on the Saturday mornings. You know, they'd go into Redfern around the homes and sell the rabbits and they'd sell them in their jumpers because then they knew that they were South footy players and not some bodgy bloke, you know, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's how the rabbit and the red and the green came, you know. That, like oh, they were, I think they were the first ones that I ever remember that had a symbol. They were the first ones. Right. That had the symbol. Mate, that is unbelievable. I've, I've never really thought about why they're called yeah. uh, the South Sydney yeah, Rabbitohs. Yeah, yeah. It was so crazy. good in, yeah, in wintertime. Yeah, mum, mum would wouldn't be going to the beach because it'd be cold up on the you know. So, well, I used to spend a lot of time out there at Pop's farm, all on weekends. We get the tram out. Used to get it in this into uh, uh, Darlinghurst. Yep. And then there was another line that went from there out to La Perouse, and we get that out there. Man. It was so neat, and and spend your time, you know, on the weekends you get the walk and get the tram out, and we go out a couple of stops in in La Perouse. And that, you know, the, the local couries and that would be throwing their boomerangs, trying to sell the boomerang. And there was a guy there that had, had a snake enclosure, like he had a, just this tin, this tin enclosure about, about uh, uh, stomach high yep. that you looked in and he'd let the snakes go in there and, and tell you all about the snakes. The LARPA snake man. And I believe he must have passed that gig on to his son. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's been through a few people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember insane, that Because he was an old guy, the guy that did it. And he'd take his hat around and get the money off the people, you know, like yeah, a donation. Yeah. And then he'd put it in, in with the snakes, you know, in the sugar bags full. He'd have the snakes in them. 
Man. And everyone would go, oh, you won't be going for the money. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, I love it. Because, yeah. yeah, when you're from Bondi uh, slash the eastern suburbs, this is something that's often missed by people who aren't from the area. It's that, like, you're basically from the area, Bondi to La Perouse. Like, that, that's your area. You, oh, yeah. You've got friends oh, yeah. and family that that whole stretch. Yeah. You play football in the same comps. You go to the same high schools. Yeah. Uh, the same 21st, you know. So you, you kind of – It, it is. It's, it's, it's a big community, that stretch. Uh, and as a result, like it has a, a positives and negatives, but um, you know, ultimately, yeah, it, it was always a, a very affordable working class area. Uh, you know, a lot of the people I grew up with, uh, you know, worked on the wharves or their parents worked mm-hmm. on the wharves. That was a really stable gig. You know, drove buses, yeah. tradesmen, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, and it's only really, I think, since probably 2010 that. Um, the money's really come in and and, mm. and made mm. life really hard for yeah for single parents and um you know the kind of lower end of the working class. Mm. Whereas when I was growing up, like that's basically all that was living there. You know, I lived in the same street as Iranians and Russians and yeah, fucking right. heaps yeah. of Maoris. Like yeah, yeah, knocked yeah. out for the first yeah, we'll time. See. I was seventeen by a Maori, yeah. like in the Bondi Hotel. You know, like yeah. it was it was a pretty loose joint to yeah. to grow up, and you got a real street education. Um, which is fairly different from, I think, the upbringing of a lot of surfers in this country who grew up in small coastal towns mm, where, mm. It, 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 you know, you just don't have that melting pot yeah. of influences and, and potential uh, avenues for disaster too. Yeah, yeah well, way, way back then, you know, like when I first used to come up the coast and anyone that did grow up in even Ballina and the smaller towns, even Lismore, they really liked to go to the city just to experience that as a kid, which is a good thing to do, you know. Experience what it's like, you know, that there's another another thing out there. And then living in Bondi too, you obviously had the cross, King's Cross just inland, uh, which really bled into Yeah, it was all part Bondi. of it. Yeah, yeah, it was all part. Like we when when that we uh, Bondi United, we all played for United, then the kids from Paddo started coming down and hanging with us, you know. And so we ended up all teaming together and going with Paddington Colts then. That was that change from United the Patter. In that in those guys those guys uh, were so much fun. We used to Sydney Stadium was going, right? And we used to you heard of Sydney Stadium. Uh, it was like how many sides? Eight sided? Yeah. Was wood wood and tin. So what, it was at Rush Cutters Bay. Oh, where they where Jack Johnson had that boxing yeah, fight it. back in the thirties. That's it. Yeah, Sydney yeah. That, Stadium. Mate, that place it's that was, old. That place was gone by the time, you know, I was yeah, well, I was alive. But yeah, when I was there, they used to have on Monday nights. They used to have the boxing. Right. They had all these three rounders, and then they'd have a main bout. You know, it was it was Lionel Rose, Rocky Gatlari era. Lionel yeah, Rose, yeah, Rocky Gatlari, Rocky era. Yeah, it was uh, so good. And so we got it. What with these kids from Pato, we had it wide. There was a big oval beside it, at the back of it, and we we'd get in that, and there was a scoreboard at the end, right up near the fence to get over. We used to climb a fence with three strands of barbed wire, and then. Underneath, because Sydney Stadium was just open slatted seats that you could climb up from underneath. And ringside was really broad, so the bleachers wasn't very high. So you could climb up into the bleachers and not be seen. But they had guys with white jackets with torches going around and used to have to, it was like, you know, uh, commando. Like great escape. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to get over <laughs> in the shadows, you know, and get in. 
And then like we had it so wide and then they started having pop concerts there and we just used to go all the time. The Who, the Who wrecked so much and the Small Faces, they wrecked so much gear the first night. They played two nights. We were like, fuck, we've got to go back tomorrow night and see if they do it again. And they did it even worse the second night. Yeah. No way. Just destroyed the joint, yeah. Amazing oh, scenes, the Who. So, no, yeah, the Who and, you know, the Kinks, they were running. Oh, the Kinks, they were pinnacle. They're the best. Yeah, it was so good. It was they, so good, them days. How yeah. good. Like, that's another uh, another thing about growing up in the city is you just get exposed to the, the best touring artists. Like, they're yeah, coming yeah, through yeah, your yeah, city. Yeah. They're only up at at Fox Studios, like Horton Pavilion or that's uh, I guess in those days the at Sydney, Sydney Stadium. Stadium. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they were around and you yeah. had access to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, we used to jump the fences at uh, the Opera House and get kind of into the Botanical Gardens yeah, and yeah. look down side of stage onto these big gigs like Massive that Attack. Was, and, that was part of everything, Sneak. In. Yeah. I was still doing it, you know, when later in the mid 20s and that, I was still sneaking in. It was so much oh, yeah. fun. Why so stop, why stop a good thing? What? <laughs> why pay I full remember, price? I remember uh, I was in New Zealand on my travels when I took off and uh, and I loved uh, John Mayle, you know, and he was playing and, and I missed, I'd been surfing at Cape Palliser and I missed getting a ticket. So the, so the, uh, uh, they said, oh, we sold out, so we, we'll put a show on before it. So I got a ticket for that show and I got in early and I got right in front and it was just awesome. It was in the time when he had the, all these old jazz, it was jazz blues fusion time. And the music was insane. He had these old Negro guys with him. It was so good. And then I'd, I'd watch this show just looking up at him in awe and, and uh, he said, oh, we've got to, they're, they're queuing up for the next show, you know. I've got to, uh, we've got to pack up and leave, sorry. And then I went, fuck, I'm not leaving here. And I thought, what can I do? And I pulled up my pants and I chat like I'm meant to be there and I charged up on the stage and started to look behind the, you know, the mics and the amps and that like I was a roadie. <laughs> and before too long I looked along, it was starting to fill up again. And so I was sweet. I knew these other guys with tickets up above in the, the top section and I ended up sitting up with them. And, oh, it was so good. Oh. Then he just played really into the night that because he didn't have to finish, you know. So good. But that's just one that comes to memory. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's such a zoo. And then I guess, you know, when uh, when the cross came into its own in the 70s, you know, it was the red light district. It was the place where troops were getting off the ship from Vietnam. Oh, it oh. was full of gangsters, oh. like, who lived yeah, in yeah, Bondi yeah. and worked in the yeah, cross. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that was the case right through, like, probably right up until now. Uh, but, yeah, it just was an eye-opener for a little kid, you know. I remember being 15 years old. You go on the strip clubs and stuff just to yeah, have yeah, a peek yeah. around. Yeah, and you yeah. just walk well, you always the knew one of your mate's dads or something had a job on one or even ran one, you know, or was a bouncer or, you know, stuff like that. That was just part of the life The life there, yeah, the lifestyle there. And you often met, as you say, these bands that came. There was often like African dancers and stuff like that that you'd see down the beach and have a chat to, you know. I remember there was one time that... There was a band called the Kingston Trio. They were like a folk band that were real big. And they came out and they one of them was sick and they had this replacement guy. His name was Gaylord and he'd come down the beach wanting to borrow a surfboard because he surfed and he surfed pretty good, you know. Well, I ended up going away on a few safaris with him, you know, and, you know, like while they were there. Yeah, you kind of, it was neat. It's massive. Really good, yeah. yeah. When yeah. I was a Grom, uh, we had the, the single fin comp still going now, but... 
Uh, the Wu-Tang Clan. I don't know if you know the Wu-Tang Clan. Iconic uh, African-American hip-hop group from New York. Oh, yeah. But they just happen to be in town. And, of course, they want to have a sticky beak at Bondi Beach. And we've got this big tent set up with, you know, a couple of uh, a local kind of uh, Polynesian Aussie reggae band, you know, Border Riders guys. And uh, the Wu-Tang Clan jump on the mics and start rocking the mics. Like, awesome. unbelievable, mate. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just yeah. one of the things you're not expecting just happens, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. You can't. You can't dream this shit up. It's yeah, that's just bizarre. Right. Um, and then I guess like as well, the, the flip side of that being so close to the cross, you know, this is where all the heroin was was basically right. coming yeah, into Australia. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. On a lot of those army, you know, boats, Navy yeah, boats yeah, and that, right. like, the troops are bringing it back from the Golden Triangle after their stints yeah, yeah, in Vietnam yeah. and that. And yeah, that's right. Ultimately, uh, the way I understand it, that's kind of what was the, the death knell for, for Kevin and so many yeah, others, well, that, man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They had uh, – they had, you know, we got to know a lot of them, them army guys because a few of them surfed and things like that. And uh, they, they told us that, that they had this drum when you got off the plane. They said, this is your last chance before you go through customs. If you've got anything, put it in. But you'd often run in. I remember this one we ran into and he forgot that he'd done it and he'd, he'd filled up his, uh, his powder container, you know, for his underarm powder and that with, uh, with pot right. you know, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a few stories about that because the pot was really strong. Like I was experimental kid, you know, back then, and you'd have a puff of the pot, and oh, I was really strong. It was like you're tripping on acid or something, you know. Fully. Yeah. I can, oh man, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's so gnarly, though. It's it's really sad, man. Oh how yeah, many yeah. How many oh, lives hard right. drug use took? Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a lot of elite surfers are uh, guys who sh- should have. You know, being in that convo with Aunt Corrigan and Shane Haran and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Crams and that. Yeah, but, yeah uh, that's right. Yeah. No, it's shocking. Robbed the town of a lot of Yeah, yeah. Of yeah, that's people. right. I, you know, it was always around. I just, you know, as I, you know, with the ocean right there, that was my, you know, saviour. I just, I just kind of went surfing. And, man, one thing I love about your journey, you know, obviously it starts in the city, uh, you know, this kind of seething blue-collar metropolis where you got yeah, some yeah, a yeah. shitty beach break and, you know, you're, you're, you're playing a pretty elite rugby league, a, a very tough game. But then as soon as that ends, uh, like a lot of people from Bondi do, um, you know, you went out into the world and you were pretty fearless and, and like almost reminds me uh, a bit of – I was watching that David Bowie film last night, Moon Age uh, Daydream, and just the ability to change – identities or, or at least like not be mm. tied to one way of being you, you went i believe to uh, Kauai at, at some point yeah i went i went there uh i went there on my my dream kind of travel you know uh that i w- always wanted to do in my mind uh yeah like, yeah like my love for byron bay was always there like i w- i'd travel up there on the train from as quite a young kid from when i first went to high school my dad let me go and i'd uh I'd often just take a group of friends. Time we cooked Kevin, oh, that, that was heavy. One time Kevin come, it was pretty heavy that time. But it was pretty, you know, there was still what some happened? of the guys, oh, people didn't want, you know, everyone was afraid they were going to get something knocked off or something, you know, right. but he wasn't. Yeah, you know, my dad said, fuck, he's never stolen from me. He just didn't have a very good name with things, you know. Uh, but, yeah, but it, it all worked out all right. But, you know, but that was my, my, uh, 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 link with up here. I'd come all the time, and then at the end of the 
at when I when I decided that I want to go surfing, I just jumped on that train again and come up here. That's how it kind of started right. and went to Byron and I didn't have anywhere to stay. We had a tent, me and my friend, and we sat, we stayed in the tent right on the main beach in the trees beside the surf club, just up the beach a little bit. Uh, that was that in 1968. That was the first kind of launch out. There was a song getting around there by Canned Heat uh, uh, going up the country. Yeah, you know? and that was oh, like, iconic. Yeah, when I hear that, it just t- I can smell the time, you know, then. Magic. Back then, yeah, yeah. But you can but smell it. Was, it. Yeah, yeah, and then and then I just, you know, we always had connection with other surfers because that's what surfing was like those days. And I knew Bob and we got a ride down here one day and ran into Bob and George. Bob Evans. That, uh, no, Bob, Bob McTavish. Bob McTavish, right. Yeah, Bob McTavish. And he had a place at Wadigo, so I ran in and they had a – a spare room there. So Gary and I rented the room. Yeah, they offered if we could stay there and I rented the room there. We rented the room there with them. Uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of that, that that trip. And then George was around there and he started to make The uh, the Innermost Limits, that movie. Yeah. Iconic, yeah. Yeah. And so talk to us. Yeah, I've got the chronology slightly wrong there. So, it, of course, it begins, your journey begins on the north coast of New South Wales, which at that point is this full, you know, counterculture surfing. Well, not counterculture yet. That's still to come, I guess, with the, the Nimbin market. Yeah, all that. Yeah, that, that. that kind of come when they discovered the magic mushrooms. Yeah, so it's not famous a, for counterculture yet, but it is the, the seedlings yeah, of the, a counterculture. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Happening. I guess so, yeah. People are, are breaking away and, like, want to live in the country. Well, I think, you know, we were – we were one of the first kind of groups, but there were other people that, that did it too. But, uh, yeah, like when Morning of the Earth came, that's why I always say that was kind of the end of an era. That was kind of when it, it kind of was starting to change mm. and starting to – a few people were starting to do the same thing. So I guess it was the start of an era for a lot more people, you know, that, that, you know, that Morning of the Earth kind of time. Yeah, Albie uh, essentially documented – a movement that was in its pure yeah, phase yeah, yeah. and then it, the, the film obviously blew the lid on the movement and attracted a lot more people yeah, to the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and kind of tracks come just before that, the movie came out. That, uh, tracks was a good one for, you know, uh, helping people kind of make that move like that. Uh, mm. Yeah. So but you, I think we did too good a job. Everyone wants to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Oh, how can you blame them? Uh, especially if you you grow up in a a stinking city with, oh, with shitty right. waves. Like, no, well, that's right. See, see, that's what I remember when I did the the movie with Mick Waters. Believe he kind of uh, he used that as a a bit of a a lead up to the movie. Something that I said in my bit where I asked my dad, uh, you know, like I don't know what to do in life, you know, and Dad said. Oh, you know, I've kind of worked all my life and it makes you wonder what it's about, you know, because I really haven't got a lot out of it. You know, I've just got you kids brought up and that. He said, I think it's about enjoying what you like doing life. And and so that's kind of what I did. He said, be good and everything, don't rip off, but just enjoy what you like doing. And uh, and that's what I was hanging a lot with Kevin then and I, we were, Kevin and I was talking about that and he said, yeah, well, we – all we can do is go surfing, you know, and I went, oh, that's great, you know, good idea. Now, I remember Paul Whitsick had tagged on to the Hot Generation Hawaii 
67 it was and it was at Maui at Honolulu Bay and there was these and I seen it and there was these beautiful green, blue-green walls, you know, and George was on the kneeboard, you know, and that young was it going all over these faces and I went, fuck, I just want to go surfing again on some good waves, you know, and then that's when I made that final hop on that train and went that final time to Byron. Right. It was with all those thoughts in my head like that, you know, that – And so what was it like living in a tent in Byron? Uh, I imagine, you know, anything was better than being stuck in the city, working nine to five. Yeah, well, being a surfer, you always can't. If you didn't have a tent, you'd sleep in the long grass, you know, like it didn't, you know, you just – it's one of them things that I've always gone with. You just go with the flow of things, you know. It's the same like when we were kids, we didn't have no tent or nothing and we just – we just get on with mouths in them days, the big old heavy mouths, you know. we just lob at the pass. Sometimes we'd get a cab. They had a, they had a phone just up the street from the railway and you'd ring up the phone and then the cab would come down and for four shillings he'd take you and your boards out to the pass and then you'd just lob there, walk the beach and, and get uh, half a loaf of bread for lunch, you know, either fill it with some chips or bananas, you know, and then the night, you'd go down to Mrs McGettigan's and she used to make her own pies and you'd have pie and peas for 10 cents and you'd get a, lo- a couple of slices of bread and butter with it, you know, and, uh, and that was it. At two shillings a day it would cost you for food, you know. You'd have, you'd have your little budget worked out if you could survive for it. Yeah, it was that simple, you know, it was that simple. And sometimes you'd walk the beach up a little bit further to just before the meatworks there was a, uh, a fish co-op just off the beach. And they used to have those Morton Bay bugs. Oh, oh man, that was just so good. No way. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you couldn't yeah, be living so any good. better. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could have a house, but, like, <laughs> apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> but we just sleep in the long grass at the, at the past, you know. Sleep, yeah. And, I mean, people marvel today at the way people were living then in the tree houses at Angowry and um, – We'll get to the Kauai bit. I love that part of your story, yeah, the yeah, nudist yeah. colony, the, the, yeah, 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 the yeah. tree houses in Kauai. And, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like surfing and being in nature and, and, and being fit uh, and healthy and eating well, like really uh, they're the foundations of, of good living, much more than material wealth at the end of the day. And I guess you guys were, were turned on to that fact mm, very mm. early on. Mm. Yeah, well, well, also what added to it, if you didn't eat right, and you ate food that was too heavy and that, you didn't really enjoy your surfing. Well, I didn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you ate food that, that did t- keep you supple and, and, and light-free to surf, yeah, weight-free to surf, yeah. So uh, I guess that took you to better foods to eat as well, like that. Yeah. And, and did you spend much time down at uh, Angari and Yamba during Oh, yeah, yeah. That's been a big part of my life, Angari was. Real romantic place in Gary with those rock pools and we used to have a spot, we called it the hot spot. You can't actually get there now, there's all kind of weeds and stuff growing and it's right, it's in the, on the Angari end of that second pool and there's this spot and it's only like about 10 feet up and you just climb up and sit and you just look across at the point and like we'd jump out from that side and then come in and then dive in the pools and rinse off, you know, in the fresh water and hang in the hot spot and go and check the surf again. Oh, that, that, that was really good. That was really good time. 
And who are the guys you're surfing with at this point? Obviously, Greeno, McTavish, uh, like yeah, bat- yeah. Batty's. Is, is yeah, yeah you'd always see Dave. You'd always yeah. see Dave, you know, coming up and, you know, coming up the coast. He'd always be, you know, Bob, he used to travel a lot with Bob Evans when he used to make movie runs, but he'd also come up with other people. Yeah, you see, and, you know, well, I was, I did a lot of surfing with the Keys brothers. Gary Keys is who I first come up in that train with. You know, not the first time I come, but that last time. You're a Bondi family, Gary, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gary Keys and Terry Keys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was, and, and of course, Robert Keneally. You know, Robert Keneally was just incredible surfer, you know. He won that first world title that I was lucky enough to be in the final of the juniors. He beat Nat in that. That was in the final too. I got the classic picture of us on the beach on that one. Oh, that was that was great. And then the next year, I was tipped to win it, but drawing came. And then I've talked to Peter in later life, uh, not all that long ago. I've talked to him, and uh, he said, "Oh, that was his greatest day." He reckoned when he won that Australian title at Manly because they had it the year after the the uh, the world title, you know, at Manly. Right, so and in the junior division, I mean, at this point, you're also playing fairly elite rugby league at the same time, more or less. Yeah, I was playing. Yeah, that's why I didn't really take it serious that much. You know, the surfing side of it. It wasn't a thing that you'd thought that you got anything out of. It was just like party a lot, and really something that you did with your mates. Like playing rugby league it was something that you did with your mates, and that's how I like to surf. You know. It's really nice. I've surfed heaps of ways when I was on the boat with George when he left us with the boat at these places by yourself and it's nowhere near as good as surfing it with people, you know, where you can see them get their rides and, you know, well, you know that, eh? It's, uh, yeah. So where uh, where was he leaving you with the boat? Oh, that was that was at Uahini on, on our trip back. Yeah, that's a little, oh. little later on along the line. All right, so let's yeah, let's <laughs> let's move along this this timeline because it's insane. I'm yeah, loving yeah, every second up. of this. Yeah. So, at which point do you head off for Hawaii? Yeah, when I I went, I went. Eh? Yeah, I went to New Zealand. Oh, what are you doing there? Yeah, I went, I went to New Zealand. We, Gary and I decided this was at that time. I said that it would. You know, they, they'd rip down one side of the road to go out to Angari of trees. You used to drive out to Angari through a tunnel of trees. It would be amazing to see a picture of that. And, and then when they put the electricity on out there, they ripped down that side and they mined the back beach. That used to be the same height right across, like a bit undulated but as that back hill. Uh, you know, and they, they, they mined that. The whole place just kind of changed, you know, and it, people started, a lot of people started coming. So, you know, and there was quite a few Kiwis that you met surfing, travelling surfers, you know, and it was always a place that, you you know, you'd always have some great stories from there and it was always somewhere that I wanted to go. So I thought, well, that's a good kind of starting trip. So we got it. It cost me $68 on, a, on one of those... Uh, uh, passenger liners. Wow. To go to New Zealand, yeah. On a boat. On wow. A boat. That's pretty yeah. full on. Did you cop some seas on the way over there? No, not not that I can remember. They had they had wine at every meal. Oh, well, that helps. <laughs> if it gets too rough, just dollars I couldn't believe it. It was like hotel. You know, you got your, your dinners and, and Gary and Terry went to and, and this girl, Denise, and Gary's uh, wife, uh, she went as well and uh, – Gary took a little Jeep and Terry took an FJ that was 
dark khaki covered, like they look like two army cars, you know. And they sent them on a boat earlier, so we had some transport. And I kind of went off with Terry and Gary went with Denise and we kind of tripped around. Yeah, we went to Raglan first. We all went to Raglan first. Wow. What was that like? I was, it was great in them days. We got there and I thought uh, – I had then the flex board that I rode in Morning of the Earth because it was just after Morning of the Earth. And I'd been uh, – we looked at we, – we, as we come there, we got a big tent and we put it right at the first point. You could never do that now. So, yeah, right at the first point and we kind of stayed there. But the first time we surfed there, this was our first time we looked at it from up the top, we went, fuck, how unreal does it look? Look, it's coming all the way. And it was like we thought it was like one wave coming all the way but it was just there was no one out and it was just so fucking big. And we went out and we jumped out at the first point and I had this flex board that was real hard to paddle and everything and I actually, no leg ropes, and I wiped out and lost the board and I uh, I got into the beach and got around the beach, took me ages and I walked up real high and I fucking couldn't see it. And so uh, I thought it's gone. And I the next day I went into the town and I mentioned to a guy in the butchers you know, that I lost a board if anyone finds it. <laughs> and he said, oh, I've seen dead bodies do it. He said, they go out, there's a big circular rip and it'll come on and it'll be in on the beach. And then a day or two later, some lady riding a horse found this strange surfboard on the beach. So I ended up getting it back. Couldn't believe it, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us a yeah. bit about the, the flex tail and, and where that design came yeah, from. Well yeah, well, that was a night, well, from hanging with George, you know, we wanted, we started, when I first worked there, it was Country Soul with Bob mm-hmm. and we were kind of starting to do hulls, you know, kind of hull boards with roll bottoms and, and stuff like that. And uh, and so we we started to make like little ones. You might, on the cover of the the first tracks on the cover for the for the stand the first tracks I was I was like on the cover because it was folded right. had like Newcastle Steelworks in the center yeah and then I was like on the cover and it said Chris brought roll on the bowl of the tiny hull and it had the tracks of where it went you know I was really wrapped in that oh, when that came I was so wrapped because it was something that I was trying to do and you know who was my inspiration for all that was how Wayne Lynch surfed in that transition era of surfboards when they went from males and they started to go down. They were still about eight foot long, but the way he stood on a board with roll in the bottom, he had like the perfect technique and he just flowed really well and he often surfed like that. I'd surfed a bit with him and, you know, I thought, oh, fuck, you know, and George surfed like that, getting them linking all those turns together and that's what you could do on them little boards, you know. I thought, oh, fuck, this is fantastic. It was like I'd taken a step the way I wanted to go with the way that I surfed, yeah. But, yeah, I, I found, though, that I had to – that my problem mainly was that I was standing wrong because I'd ridden males for years and I had the torso forward instead of sideways. That was Wayne's secret is he had that torso side – you know, his feet were sideways and he was facing the wall. Yeah. Talk to us about – that period, I mean, how exciting was it to to watch board design go through such a crazy period of flux and, and, and ultimately unlock pockets and energy on the wave yeah, that was yeah. never before accessible. You could look at it, you wanted to get there and suddenly exactly. you could go there. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like people were talking about it and coming down in size and putting V bottom in and 
trying to get like Ted was a real inspiration to me with the surfboards. He he used the roll properly, moved the fin up a little bit, and he he was linking his turns together like Wayne, as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was really it was real it was real exciting. I was lucky enough that first year I moved up here, my first wave at Lennox Point, I took off. I was with Gary and George, first surf I'd had with George, and I took off on this wave and the board just fucking locked in a track and went straight forward and the lip, I looked up and the lip went over me head and broken in half, the board. Wow. And so I didn't have a board and then I borrowed a board (coughs) off Bob, I think, and I broke that. And then these guys come out from uh, Hawaii and they had a pocket rocket that was what Brewer had made for a small board and it was eight foot long and just a full pintail. And they bought one for Nat and he didn't want it. And and I didn't have a board and they said, oh, well, you can have it, Brocky. So I got to to use that that all that winter. There's a few shots of me riding in that in George's movie. It's uh, pretty neat. It was pretty neat. Yeah. So I was kind of lucky to, to, you know, to go through a few different boards like that. Uh, you know, and there was boards that come after that too that led me the way I wanted to go with it. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, who showed you the ropes with making your own boards? Well, you know, I just kind of learnt pick up from, from Bob and the first time was with George at, in San Juan and Byron. It used to be in Byron that... I ran a planer over the board with him and he went, oh, you can shape, yeah. But I was just running the planer over. I didn't really change. Yeah, I was just watching. Actually, probably a lot of my first ones were uh, hand sh- uh, reshapes too where I ripped the glass off the board, the yeah, older board and reshaped it, which was a little bit easier to do than hacking it from the with the planer. But it did, you know, some of them come out good at first and some didn't and slowly I just learnt. But then I, I travelled went away and travelled, that's when I did all that trip for Hawaii and all that, which we can talk. But when I came back, I went to Cundeth at Sky Surfboards and that's when I really started taking off with my shaping is when that I was there because I had the opportunity to shape boards. You know, I could basically shape and I did. I did actually, Dave, Dave Raster's got one. He reckons it's his first board. And I seen it a little while ago because he had he had this thing with old boards, and it's a real parallel one. So I was running off Cundeth a bit, fins way back, but it had a real lovely bowl under the front of it, you know, to displace the water. And I seen him get some waves on it. It was just looked like you know riding on silk over the white water, you know, because it just displaces it really nice yeah. that water. Yeah. So Cundeth was was my big teacher. For, for a lot of that and then I kind of went my own way with because I surfed all the time and I knew what felt good for me. Like when I ended up getting in the twin fins, I found that the rounded pin worked for me. There was no rounded pin 20s then, mm. that, you know, and I, I started to make them and in about a year most of the board shops in Byron started doing the rounded pin and now we've got with that new surge of twin fins, that's the most – the most uh, favourable design that it a lot is, of them yeah. like is that rounded pin, Especially yeah. for hollow waves, you see. Yeah, exactly. exactly. See, well, I was riding here in Angari all the time. That's kind of actually where I met Shane the first time with that with that board at Angari. Oh, okay. So, Shane Aran, yeah. Okay, so you didn't know Shane in Bondi. You were no, a generation no, he was, yeah, he, yeah. Okay. I remember George used to get tracks sent to him on the boat. Yeah. And I seen they had a picture of a kid's head, you know. 
And I went, fuck, his lips look like mine. And it was Shane around with just raw fucking lips. He was only real young. And when I met him, he said, oh, he said, I got grounded for a week because I snuck out and seen the innermost limits. <laughs> so sick. Yeah, it was neat. Oh, man. Isn't it? Yeah. Two of the absolute greatest. <laughs> um, yeah, so from NZ. Uh, yeah, NZ, I, I travelled all over New Zealand. Yeah. You know, that's where I really hung, hung and lived with a lot of Maori guys. Yeah. You know, and surfed and oh, I had some classic times, you know, with them guys. There was a guy, Fat Cat, at, at uh, White Rock Station. It's, it's, it's like you're in Hawaii. There's a picture of it there behind there. And we didn't have – there's a hunting lodge there that you can stay in and it's got like a fuel stove with copper pipes around it so you can have hot showers. And it just looks over these, this big spit of this right and there's another little point kind of a bit like Angari but not quite as good, a bit flat. And uh, had this – hunt, and we didn't have any food and the surf was really good. So Fat Cat, that was the Maori fella, uh, Tony Glover, he said that was his – he made surfboards and they were called Fat Cat surfboards, yeah. He was a saxophone player. No way. <laughs> and he said, we'll go down to the sheep station, White Rock Sheep Station. So we went down there and he bought a bag of flour off him and half a sheep. Wow. And we just cooked it. He made Maori bread and we just hung there for till all the food was gone surfing. <laughs> so it was a really good experience, that one. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Yeah, it was so good. Unbelievable. So good. Yeah, and then, see, I'd never seen Morning of the Earth or anything. And I started to hear these songs, you know, start coming from it. You know, you'd hear it on the radio, you know, these songs from the movie. And and it was, I'd always decided that I wanted to go across the Pacific and get on a sailboat, live in Hawaii. And, and there was this song and the words were just like out of that movie that that was what that I was doing and what I wanted to do, you know, that I, I, I tell them I'm living in the islands, you know, I don't want to go to Germany, Italy or Spain, you know. I couldn't believe it. Fuck, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh. So then I ended up on Kauai right, from, from New Zealand, yeah. Right. So of, how did you make that journey? Well, I got a, uh, one winter on the south. I was living on the South Island at Kaikoura. Yep. And it, one of the most beautiful places on the earth. It's just so beautiful. The mount, mountains go up 8,000 feet. And I was diving abalone there and surfing. And we were getting pretty good money for abalone. The American dollar was like you got two American for one Australian or New Zealand in them days if mm. you if you swapped over, which was good. We used to get 48 cents a pound for abalone. Yeah. So I kind of saved some money there and then the winner come. <clears throat> and I had to uh, – Terry and Gary went up to the North Island and got jobs. Or t Terry had already stayed there and got a job at this uh, – construction site they were making a pulp mill on the North Island at, at Rotorua and I got on a I got out on the high and thought I'll go up and see him and see if I can get some work and get some money you know and I put my hand out at Mongamanu that's the surf break at Kokura and uh, one car picked me up and he took me all the way till I got a job I got him somewhere to stay in, in Wellington the night because I knew a lot of people in Wellington and then we went and he took me all the way and I got the job and that's how I kind of saved my money for uh, to to go to Hawaii, then I had. Mate, yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I spent a couple of years in New Zealand then. Yeah, that, that time. Yeah, I kind of did two stints of working. I worked at Rotorua, and then I worked at Kaurau, the same type of job. I fought, I was a fiberglass laminator on a 
uh, they were doing a, a pulp mills chemical plant. And uh, Yanni used to have to do one joint a day and it was real cruisy work. Actually, the second job, there was a really good surf break nearby and I actually had jobs that had uh, – you had a van that came, you know, so I used to take the bosses home at one job and, you know, be able to go and check out what the surf's like. And it's pretty good. Sick. Yeah, yeah. Man, it was hard graft for surfers in those days. Like there was no sponsors paying you away and, oh, and no. even work wasn't that's, a guarantee. Yeah, like, that's what Dave always says to me. You know, look at the money they're getting now, but when you weigh it up, Chris, I reckon we had it best with the, the surfs that we had, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You had the best of it. There was no one around. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you had to work for it, but yeah. like all things that you have to work for, when it's especially when you're chasing your, your dreams and your passion in life, there's such a – a big reward mm, at mm, the other end. Mm, mm. And so from NZ to Hawaii, yeah, so what's the method of travel in those days? Is, is it plane yeah, or I, boat? Yeah, I went by plane. It was plane, yeah. So, yeah, when I worked at the second job, there was this guy there, Lloyd Godman, that I'd met. Uh, he was an electrician there. And I was telling him, oh, I, I want to go to Kauai, you know, and then he looked up in Kauai. And he ended up went there before I did. And then he's got onto me and said, oh, come over. I've got this fucking horse farm to look after. He was the inspiration to get there, you know. And I went, oh, all right, you know. So I, I went over and I, I went and it, all the horse farm had fallen through and he was living at Taylor Camp. And I hadn't planned it. And I'd already, you know, I don't know, we didn't really talk about the Angari treehouse, but Tommy Taylor helped me build the Angari treehouse and that was his dad that owned Taylor Camp. Okay, so... I forgot. So you did a stint in the tree houses at Angari. Yeah, at Angari. How yeah, long was yeah. that for? Well, that was just really for around, you know, six months a year or something like that. You know, what was that uh, scene like? Oh, it was fantastic. It was really good. It was great. And in the end, I gave it to Baddy. Yeah, when I left there, I said you can have it. And then Brad, Brad and Baddy kind of took out Brad Mays. Yeah, from Bondi, Bondi again. Guy, of course, yeah. Yeah, he he took over. What a great server he was. Yeah, he took over the uh, uh, the surfboard. Factory from us, yeah. Oh, okay. Of Gary, Gary and Terry owned it because their mum died and left them a few grand, and they were able to buy the resins off Bob, so they kind of owned it. That's when we uh, called it Wilderness after George's designs in in Hawaii, uh, in uh, California. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, you do the you do the stint at Angari, and then so uh, Taylor's camp was uh, the. the the tree houses, the the, col- the nudist colony. Yeah, exactly, say, exactly. In, in Kauai. So, yeah, it all it all started from there was some illegal campers, and they 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 put them in jail and that for illegal camping. And uh, Howard Taylor owned this land, and they wouldn't let him build on it. And he must have known some of these guys. They were actually doctors and things like that. The people they were professional people. They were just dropping out, I think. You know, mm. just going to the islands yep. and dropping out. Fair enough. And so he said, "Yeah." And he said, "Oh, you could you can build a treehouse on this land of mine at the end of the road." And it was right on the beach because the state wouldn't let him build there. Apparently, on that house, he lived where you paddled out to Tunnels Reef. He had a house there. There's a kind of gap on the beach in the reef that you paddle across to Tunnels Reef. Have you ever been to Kauai? Oh, I haven't, no. Yeah, Tunnels Reef is where Bethany had her oh, arm to, okay. that's right out. You've got to paddle right out to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's at Hyena towards the end of the road. Yeah. On Kauai, past Honolulu and so on. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, t- Tommy told me about this when I was at Angari because I had to move out of this house that I was in and uh, – 
uh, Tommy told me about it and there was all this driftwood on the beach and so, oh, fuck, let's make a treehouse. There was actually a couple of guys from Bondi there, Murray Evans and Wayne Packham too, and they helped us too and we – the four of us build it, the treehouse. No way. So Yeah. At you, the southern end, I kind of went and picked the spot and everything for it and and found the good timbers and, and we, yeah, put it together there. Did you know those guys were in quiet at the time? No, no, this was here. Oh, sorry. This was at Angari. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was at Angari, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. at Angari then, yeah. Right. Okay. And so, and so I hadn't planned on going to Kauai and living in the treehouse. It's just that that's how it happened. And it ended up that I was there for ages. You know, I was there for nearly like two years in Hawaii on that. You know, all my visa and everything had run out. But I got over that. I, I, uh, You could do things like this back then. I didn't have any money kind of left. And my ticket had nearly ran out of, uh, you know, it was nearly expired, my return ticket. Right, yeah. And so I I, I went to the uh, the people that, Sold, sold the ticket, yeah, and I said, can I cash this in? And they said, oh, you've got to have a letter from the immigration. And so I wrote to them and said, I'm leaving on a sailboat. Can I cash me ticket in? And they said, yeah, all right. They sent me a letter back that I could. And so I took that to them and they cashed the ticket in. And luckily, well, didn't really matter if I didn't, I suppose, but luckily I did go on a boat in the end, but it was quite a long while after that. Right. So I did leave the States on a boat in the end, but from California with George on that trip. That's out right. Here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's how I finally went, come home. Yeah. And talk to us about your time in Kauai. I mean, what are your fondest memories of that period? And what was life like there? What were you doing for food? Uh, yeah, I think I was, I was pretty lucky. I think it was a pretty special time then in Hawaii because the, the, uh, there was a petrol shortage. And there was hardly any cars on the road. And and then all the North Shores were more in the country and most of the population lived on the other side in the on in around Lahui in on Kauai and Honolulu on Oahu. So there wasn't a real lot of people on the North Shores. We had push bikes we used to ride from Honolulu to Hyanna on, and you'd hardly get blinded by any cars because there's hardly any car at night when you mm. rode home. There were hardly any cars on the road and yeah, it was a good time. And, uh, yeah, there was, like, you know, papaya trees growing wild and, you know, uh, yeah, it was it was easy place to, to live. Yeah, real easy, especially when you, pay, you weren't paying any rent and you were living, like, right on the beach in this treehouse. It was pretty awesome. They have got a documentary on on Taylor Camp, if anyone's interested to look it up. Yeah. yeah. They've got a pretty good What's doco on it. Oh, well, Taylor we'll, Camp. We'll Google yeah. it. Yeah, I'll, yeah I'll Taylor it Camp. I'll chuck yeah, in the show notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what about the waves? You must have got some crazy oh, waves yeah. of mowing around. I remember when, when Lloyd, the Kiwi guy that I went over to meet, took me for a walk along the surf spots, you know, and the first look at it, I went, fuck, how do you even get in, you know, to these waves? But in the end, if I hadn't have spent that time in Hawaii, I wouldn't have surfed half the breaks that I did on the boat with George. Right. I would have been totally green, you know, like that was a real a real uh, learning thing for them big sucky waves, you know, because that's say, what yeah. it was like. You, you're getting introduced to Hawaiian long period energy slab reef kind of setups. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what it was like in front of Taylor Camp. There was a few of them along together when, and they ended with cannons. Yeah. With, uh, with the Irons brothers yeah. that got their pipeline experience. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, there was Bobo's before that. That's the one before that. That's why I always wanted to meet this guy, Jimmy Lucas. I'd seen him in one of Paul's movies, The Islands, you know, as this Hawaiian guy. And he was actually living on Kauai then. And I was out at Bobo's by myself and the surf was getting really big. And uh, I seen these two guys walking along the beach with boards heading for, for the surf break for the, where I was. And it was a big white guy and a big black guy and it was Jimmy Lucas. And they came out and they said, what are you doing out here by yourself? You know, you know, I'd surf out here by yourself. So I was kind of accepted by them straight away. And they said, oh, Honolulu's going to be really good tonight. If you can get into Honolulu, it's going to be on because the swell's really rising, you know. And uh, I actually did get there that night at Honolulu. I we had to, me and Lloyd had to go to this guy's place for a dinner, uh, Tex Wilson. He was a really good photographer. And we were hitched, we hitched to the town, it's the town in between Honolulu and where we were. And we hitched and the guy said, oh, i got to go to that town, the, the guy that picked us up. He said, but I want to look at the surf. Do you want to come into Honolulu? You know? So we went in with the Eric was his name. And we went in and we, and we walked out the pier and we sat on the pier and I could tell it was Jimmy Lucas. He was this dark skin with a red board. He was all over these big walls, you know, just it was so good watching. The next day we surfed there. But, but it was funny, that guy was going to the same house that we were. That was his sister was oh, married to Tex Wilson. No It was crazy. Way, man. That's like the first morning I was there on Kauai. And I, hit, I was hitching in the Honolulu to buy some a bit of food and that from Taylor Camp and this combi ute pulls up and the door flings open. He says, where are you going? I said, Honolulu. And the guy he had these big blue eyes and long blonde hair brushed back and he looked like this, this uh, Indian mystic that appears to people, you know, that I've read about, you know, Babaji. And I went, fuck, he looks like Babaji, I thought to myself. And it was this guy, Phil Bondi, like... Like Bondi, Phil Bondi. Wow. <laughs> and I hopped in the car with him. We've gone in Honolulu and he said, oh, where do you come from? And I said, oh, originally I come from Bondi. And he said, oh, do you know Max Bowman, Dennis Lindsay and Dave Spencer? And I went, yeah, <laughs> they're friends of mine. And he said, oh, yeah, they live with me in California. And he said, how much time you got? And I said, oh, all the time in the world. And he said, I'll take you around to this house. And it was this house right on the beach at Honolulu. They call it the Dolphin House. And, and there was three girls in there that I'd grown up with living in the house what? with this American guy that had come out that I'd surfed with at Angari, Bob Crozier. Yeah, so it was unreal. It was so good. Man. That's so I ended up, I had a big board, my eight-footer I left at that house to surf Honolulu and then I had my seven-six to surf Tunnels Reef at Taylor Camp, you know, so, and a push bike and then with a basket on front so I could pick fruit on the way and, yeah, it was oh, good. Magical. It was great. It was really good. Magical. I'm really stoked with the memories, you know. I hope I'm going to be a happy old guy because I've got good memories to look back on, yeah. Mate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're frothing, yeah. You're yeah, one of the yeah, great yeah, frothers. Yeah. You're a testament to uh, <laughs> you know, how to, you know, age gracefully yeah, yeah, and with energy yeah, and froth. Yeah, yeah. And I think you just got to go with the flow of things and, you know, try and, try and stack them up, they have good memories. Mate, I guess that's the thing about your life is that you were in flow. You, you, you somehow innately understood what flow was and you, you followed your nose. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It it's like, uh, yeah, to, I, I, used to, I used to liken it to taking the plane along the wrong way on a bit of wood against the grain, you know. I'm not going against the grain. 
I'm going with the flow of things. And I guess like at that time, you know, you've got the Vietnam War, you've got uh, just this. Oh, there was all these pressures that you had yeah. to do this and had to do that. See, like that was a great time in the 60s. It was, it was you know, getting rid of the, all that establishment, yes. you know, and just, just living, just living, you know, freedom and, you know, learning new things because you could, you, you've seen that that wasn't the way that it's meant to be, you know. And I thought by this time that everything would have been sorted but it seems to have fucking gone backwards. But at least one unreal thing, we've got really a lot more people thinking good mm. than what was back then, you know. That's that's the one thing that might be the saviour. Oh, big time. Look yeah. out, you've, you've turned millions of people on to a better lifestyle and a whole different value system that runs completely counter to the establishment of, you know, material wealth, conquering countries, war, you know, this kind of, this material consumerist culture, it must have, you know, it is so hollow and your generation was the first to really push back against it Mm. and, 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 Step outside of it and and, mm. and embrace this this natural, albeit fairly impoverished, lifestyle. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. mate, yeah. I know you often wonder, you know, how it comes. And I think, I think a lot of it, if you like, you know, you heard it in songs. You know, people were people were saying it. Poets were saying it. You know, like, you know, if there was wise men talking. You know about it, mm. and you just had to link link on and believe it. You know flow with it mate it's incredible speaking of flow how does this this boat trip with um greeno come about yeah so- well that's when i when i was on oahu i i took a few trips to oahu from Kauai. yeah you know, what was that experience like in those the, days the north shore yeah oh, i guess it was more established wasn't oh, it was it, pipe already? great it was yeah. really great i remember the first trip i went over with howard owen howard owen walked up to me at Ka- uh, on Kauai. we were at tunnels reef uh, no, at, at Cannons, which is the big left. Mm. Phil Bondy used to work at the the property there. He lived on the property and he was the gardener. I used to help him garden there and the, the lady used to write the checks out, Phil Bondi. I used to fucking love No him. way. Yeah. He ended up, his his uh, daughter was with Bruce Irons, had kids with Bruce Irons. So yeah. Yeah, right. Phil, yeah. Okay, is that uh, Mia is the daughter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's right, isn't that true? Yeah. Classic. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, like when Andy died, he said, oh, I got Phil and, I mean, I got I got Bruce and I took him in the Honokapiai Valley, what we used to do, you know, we'd go into the valley and climb up the arch and get into the valley. Yeah, it was so neat on that. Pa- That's on the Parley Coast along past past Taylor Camp, near right. Taylor Camp. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe this is where like Jurassic Park and yeah, stuff it was. was filmed. Yeah, right? Jurassic Park, yeah, like, it was filmed it's there. It's insane. Yeah, yeah just beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think you can take like a rubber ducky ride down there, down the coast like today. But I was lucky when I was there because this real estate agent had rented Howard's house. That's Tommy's dad. Tommy was living underneath. He'd just come back from Australia and a real estate agent from the Wahoo rented the top bit and his dad took all the other kids on a bike trip through Europe. They rode bikes through Europe. He was a really neat guy. The, that was Elizabeth Taylor's brother. The dad, right. yeah, no it was the dad, yeah. They took and so anyway, this guy had a twenty-two foot Boston whaler, and he let Tommy take it fishing in that. So we used to take it down the Parley Coast and camp at the beach at the end, and you know, 
go fishing. And it was great. Really good little experience, that one. I was oh, lucky man. all that fell in. Yeah, can't yeah. fathom how raw and, and wild Kauai and, and Hawaii in general would have been mm. back then. Mm. Uh, you know, surfing is barely a blip on the radar at this point in most of Hawaii. Uh, Oahu, I guess, like a little bit more established there, the the pipe scene and, and surfers making yeah, the Yeah, it was real, a real, real colourful. Sunset and Yeah, pipe real colourful in them days, even on Kauai, you know, all the characters were mm. colourful, you know, and. Yeah, great stories and, yeah, Halloween. I remember Halloween at Honolulu Bay. They're all saying it's Halloween and there you looked out at Honolulu from the Dolphin House and you just see these big round waves coming down. Beautiful. Mate, and yeah. I, I imagine uh, far out a lot of LSD on the scene in those days too. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the early days. Uh, yeah, like that kind of started in the 60s there. yeah. They kind of, you know, and then and then the mushrooms come. Well, as as I said, that's what kind of made all this area take off mm. when they found the magic mushrooms. How good because here's this thing that's as old as the planet yeah, itself, yeah. and it comes out and people consume it, and immediately they reject these f- these fake parameters of, of life. You yeah, know, the yeah. material world. Yeah, oh yeah. fuck that! Yeah. I want to yeah, I want right. to feel good. It's yeah, all about feeling right. good yeah, and connecting yeah, yeah. with yeah, people yeah. and nature. Yeah. And well, that's it. When you say nature, that's how it was at first. Right? It was connecting with nature, and then like what blew me out that if I if I had any drugs around people and that I. You know, I wouldn't like feel that relaxed. But if I was in nature, you didn't even feel like you were stage. You know, it was just just far out. You know, just you're just one. And uh, and then as years went on, it turned into more of a uh, a thing to have when you went out and got pissed. Right. You know, your acid and everything. They were mixing it all up, and I just I could not get into it that way. You know, I think that's when you're starting to have problems with your drugs. You know, when. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's such a powerful medicine or, you know, mind alterer. It's such a risk taking it in a, in a dynamic social yeah, setting yeah, where right. you've got, you know, all kinds of strange interactions yeah, exactly. that could come up and unsettle you. Exactly, yeah, exactly. What was the North Shore like of Oahu in those days? Oh, I was, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I liked it. I had a good time. Yeah, yeah the guys were pretty neat. There's all characters everywhere, you know. But uh, I was kind of lucky because... That I spent that time in New Zealand, really, and knew, you know, how how Polynesian people kind of, yeah. I met a guy on Kauai and I Joy was reading the one of the guys uh, that does the uh, the skull candy that oh, yeah. seen us that night at the Northern. Oh, yeah, yeah. He put us onto this book that this American guy, I know he's from New York, but he spent a lot of time in, on, uh, in Hawaii when he was young writing. And he mentioned, Joyce said, oh, that name you mentioned is in this book. He writes about that, that family. And his name was Glen Kakawakui. And he, I met him on Kauai at Cannons, surfing Cannons. And he, it, it was classic. He, he was in jail for bashing up a Howley guy. Mm. And he could surf all day, but he had to be back at jail at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> it was just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I had some really good surfs with him. I remember one day at Honolulu. Honolulu was really big. It's probably some of the biggest waves that I've ever surfed. And I had a kind of a, all my boards, which most of the boards on the, on, the, on the outer island shapers were like, they had a bit of roll in the bottom of them, especially with your entry, you know. And this wave I got, 
you know, the board just fitted in and this Hawaiian guy was paddling out. And he says, fuck, man, you were going back like this, you know. And I showed him my board and he said, I had to go on a board like that once at Wymere Bay. He said that Bob McTavish shaped. And he said it was the best bottom turns that I ever got in my life, which was imitating the greener hole with that roll bottom, yep. you know, like that, yeah. But it's funny, years later, I, Brad Mays died and I was on his way to his funeral and Gunther Roan got me a, a ride with this American guy that lives on the Tweed and that was the guy that he bashed up. No way. Years later. What a small world, eh? And Mate. he got into martial arts and that since then. He had all his sticks and you know, <laughs> he was a neat guy, Rick. I must have given him a hiding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess it's kind of uh, the way surfing was then. It was so small that oh, you, you, right. were, you were less than one degree separated from yeah, everyone yeah, who yeah. did you it. Knew, you knew. Every, yeah, you knew pretty much everyone, you know. How it was crazy. Great. Yeah, it was great. It was really good. It was like a family thing, you know. But Yeah. Yeah, I'm real lucky to have seen surfing like that. Yeah, and so the relationship with uh, with Greeno, so it, it begins when you move up to yeah. Well, Byron. well what happened? Now, what happened? Yeah, yeah, I met him there. Yeah, I met him in up there. Do you remember how and they you were met doing? Him? Well, it was yeah. There was a guy. It was a guy from Bondi, Wayne Williams. He died a few years ago. He he, he ended up in Ngari in the end. You know, Wayne making boards down there, and. Uh, he had this old vanguard and he was with this Kiwi guy, Bill Carson. And Gary and I were living in the tent and they seen us at Main Beach and Byron. They said, oh, we've been down surfing Lennox, you want to come? And so that's who took us down. The car was only running on like about two cylinders. <laughs> it was a total bomb. But we got down here and then that's when we, we ran into George and uh, Bob. We're out here that day. I didn't know George then, but I met him that day. I remember he, he took off his uh, his shirt and he had this big scar down here, you know. I went, fuck, mate, what happened to you? And he said, oh, he had a heart operation when he was 10 years old. You wow. know? And he said, I've got a couple of ribs missing too. Holy then. shit. Yeah. It's amazing what he's done, you know, that guy. Man, it is. It's, especially, yeah, it's almost like... He was living on borrowed time in a sense. Like he got, yeah, a, he, yeah, got yeah, he got a free yeah. roll of the dice yeah, yeah, because well, he could said, have been gone at ten. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and the and the doctors told his mum that that had never worked on anyone, so it must have been pretty bad. What was wrong with him? How crazy! And they gave him a go, and he said it took his dad about a year or something to pay it off the the operation, and they said, oh, he might live till he's about thirty five, and he'll be eighty two at the end of the month at the start of next month. Unbelievable, yeah. man. Yeah. And, and he's still going. Yeah, he's still going. And yeah. what that guy has accomplished in his life and, and what he's given the surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't well, know if there's yeah, anyone well, he's, who's. Yeah, he's, it's the, the good thing about George, the simplicity of it, you know, like the simpler the better, the most functional, you know, simple way is the best way. Yeah, and his yeah. whole path in life has been directed to finding a way to get as close to that source energy of the ocean, uh, whether it be sailing boats or Yeah, and that, that dolphin glide, and, you know, dolphin glide, that movie, those shots there. I don't know if you – probably not a lot of people have seen that. That's that, pretty so, good. So this is like – dolphin glide is that – Original kind of housing footage that Pink Floyd ended up making. No, 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 no. He made this about. Remember, we went up there about twenty years ago, didn't he? 
and he said, oh, come on up and have a look at it because he likes people to have a look at it and criticise it, you know. And I went, I went, oh, fuck, look at those shots. They're so fucking good. It looked like you're in heaven. You know, there was all these rays of light hitting the, hitting the, the top of the water. It had a bit of chop on the water. There was all these fucking rays of light and they were swimming through it, you know, these rays from heaven. I went, fuck, how are those shots, you know? And he said, oh, yeah. And so he said, I shot that about three o'clock in the afternoon. He knew exactly, you know, everything about every shot. He did that with the innermost limits too. He said, he used to say, because uh, he knew that you were on a pair of, that you had blue board shorts on this day that's going to cut with this day. And he wow. went, put on them board shorts, you know, and. Yeah. yeah, make sure you bring the blue board shorts or, you know. A master of aesthetics. It, 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 it's crazy. He's such an artist because he had such a, a broad range of talents and he converged them all Yeah, to create well, like the ultimate. Well, well, what he does is he learns about it. He learns about what he wants to know about. He's a platonic thinker. Mm. You know, he's, he's got to know what it's about. And he won't, a lot of times he won't comment on it unless he knows what it's about. He just he just locks in and just fucking gets the job done, you know. Hmm. Uh, it's such a cry. Oh, Joey's whacked the doco on Taylor Camp. No way. It's on in the background here. I uh, was that. That's what? what it looks like from the ocean. That's what it looks like on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> a, a topless woman. And uh, oh, it's man. really funny. These local girls in this movie, they. They camp nearby, you know, with their parents and they always sneak down, you know, when they were little girls and watch them playing volleyball on the beach. <laughs> yeah, of course, so it was a nudist camp. We've forgotten to cover yeah. that. So was everyone uh, forced to get around the nerd or not forced no, but no, expected not forced. to? Yeah, not forced. Yeah, yeah, not Is yeah, Did not that include yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, it was just if you didn't – yeah, I, I, yeah, I've always been like that. I, I've got no inhibitions, you know, like, you know, about anything, you know. Yeah. Wow, a nudist camp. How does that work in practice? It, it, it sounds like a, a utopian idea, but, you know, what, the, I remember the Seinfeld episode, there's there's good naked and bad naked. Yeah, yeah. Was, there was one in Queensland, Joy, and I was laughing. It was on TV and they were real old people and they were real saggy and everything. And, and this guy, an old guy says, yeah, we're, we're after a few young'uns to join. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> there's, one, there's one in the paper. There were a girl suing him in the icebergs for perving. Oh, really? We've got the Daily Telegraph here. <laughs> Get your eye off me. <laughs> Leering Bondi men. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> That's it. When I was with oh, my son, pastimes. I was at my son coming up for my. I've got a son who lives on Kauai. Is the electrician at Lahui Airport, and he's come out where my brother died. You know, for the, and I've taken it. Yeah, we got a flat near right where I live near Bondi and Kalua Street. We got one at the Cosmo there in the corner, and uh, uh, we've walked onto the beach. You know, <laughs> you know what it's like walking along the prom. And I said, "Yeah, now you know where I'm like I am." <laughs> <laughs> Mate, yeah, it's uh, you got to get great. out of that joint. It, it, it's uh, it'll just it's just a, a bottomless well of ill content and <laughs> lusty desire. You got to leave at some point. I've seen what happens when you don't, and it's not pretty. 
<laughs> plenty of those guys still hanging around leering. That's probably what this front page article's about. I probably know the yeah. guy who's been busted. It's almost a guarantee. Ah, <laughs> uh, mate. But, uh, yeah, so back to the relationship with Greeno. And, uh, mm. So you guys lived together for a period too? Yeah, oh, when, when we come back, George, George had bought some land at the end of the beach there in the rainforest. And he, he was always still going back to the States all the time. I didn't have anywhere to live and he said, oh, I can put a tent up here. So I found this two-poled fucking tent, this real big tent. And then he went down and got – they were pulling down the old Ballina Bridge and he got all the, the wood off the bridge with with uh, with Fairley's brother who was this real big guy staying down at Broken. And he was helping George and they were getting all the timbers from the bridge and they brought them up and put them – and I used that as the floor. So we had that, the floor, and I put the the big tent over it and then we cut holes in the tent and had rooms off it, which I made out of uh, the iron that you use for a slab. You know that, that iron you put in a slab and I buckled it over and put plastic over it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. The and in my bedroom I had a planter box there and all vines growing over, you know. like wow. there's, there's a neat shot of George in my bedroom in that. He's standing in uh, Surface Journal had it in, in the American one. Then they did the Greeno interview. It's a really good picture. Oh, I'd love and all to the check that down. Yeah, yeah. Candace, Mrs. said to me, I said, "Oh, that's my bedroom." She asked about me in the shot, and she said, "I knew it was your bedroom." And I said, "How'd you know that?" She said, "Because the bed was made." George's <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be made. You uh, yeah, see, he hasn't got time for things like that, making beds or even combing his hair, you know. No, he's, he's got so much on his oh, brain. He's got some hydroplaning yeah. vehicle to tinker with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fully. Um, so, yeah, right. And so. It's, yeah, well, that's what you asked me about how I linked to go there. Yeah, it was one of them times on the North Shore. Oh, that's the right. Last the last time trip. I was there, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was this girl that I met surfing. Uh, she was surfing sunset on an air mat. She was sitting on the West Peak and getting them big. I'd always sit over and get try and get them east ones across so you didn't have the – you weren't in all the crowds, you know. That Peter Cole was there the years I was there. He had the, the brace on his neck. We used to sit right over on that east peak and get them and they'd come across that, that West Peak, you know, like that, and it'd link with it. And she was on an air mat and I got talking to her. And she was the lady that did the artwork in the Intermost Limits, Patty Hennick. Right. She's a Patty Irons now. She married one of the Irons brothers. Okay. The, uh, the, the dads, you know. The, oh, okay. The uncle yeah, of, yeah. yeah, the boys. And, uh, yeah, and so she said, I'm going back to California. Why don't you come over and see George? And so I rang George up and he said, oh, yeah, I'll pick you up at the airport, you know. Sick. And so I, so we went over there together, me and Patty, and and because that's where she was from, Santa Barbara. She's going back to her parents' place, and uh, George took me down to the harbour that night and said, "I'm going to sail back to Australia in a few m- months. Do you want to come back on the boat?" And I said, "Oh fuck, that'd be unreal, you know." Well, then I actually that, told that was... the American government that that's how I believe <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I can't I believe that. how perfect this is, George. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And so and so that's how that happened, yeah. Okay. So, so what's going a, on in Santa Barbara that time too? I mean, California, this yeah, is what, a, the, oh, the early so, 70s? Like, yeah, like I got the surf rink on hoops, you know. That I remember I seen, uh, what was his name, Bob Cooper. He was happened to be there and I ran into him at there and someone said, oh, yeah, they – 
they told me there was an Aussie guy with fucking Greeno, you know, and I asked them, did he go up on the face like this? And they said, yeah. And he said, oh, that would be Chrissy Brock, you know. And I was like, good on you. <laughs> yeah, because that's how when, I, when he died, I seen some old movies of him surfing. And he, he was such a good surfer. He kind of was doing that around in, to get around guys and stuff, overtaking them from above and he was really good. Like he was your first American out here surfer kind of guy to come out here. Okay. Bob tripping Cooper. around Bob Cooper. Well, there was earlier guys, sorry. There was because they came out for that uh, they, uh, exhibition of the Malibu board with the 56 Olympics. Oh, okay. The and just prior to that, there was a guy, he's in that same Surfer's Journal. That's what they did a little story on me and they hit a story on him. Barry McGuigan seen this guy walking along with this smaller surfboard, which was would have been eight foot or nine foot, walking along with it, and uh, a Tamarama. And he pulled up and asked him if he wanted to ride and he, he was really sick. And so... Uh, Barry McGuigan took him to the hospital and he lent him his board. He said, you look after me board and I'll see you when I'm better, you know. And so Barry got to ride that board. I remember Barry writing that story about that, yeah. Wow. I remember Shane used to say, because Barry McGuigan, he died a few years ago, but he always did yoga. He was from South Bondi. Okay. He was one of the early surfers with Jack Louis Mays and Scotty Dillon and Noel Ward. Uh, yeah, and he, yeah. And and so back to Santa Barbara and, and George. So you, you depart California uh, on the boat. I mean, did you do any little test voyages before? Yeah, or? we used to go out to the island surfing, out right. to the offshore islands, the Channel Islands, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. we and we yeah we stopped at the offshore islands and 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 got a lot of fish supplies, got a lot of abalone and uh, a lot of uh, these fish that you get right on the bottom, I used to love them because they're like a cod, you know, they're like a, a snapper tasting, you know, they taste a bit like uh, lobster or something, you know, those bottom fish, yeah. yeah okay. that, George had those spots and you had like six hooks and you throw it over and you just wait to them, bang, 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 and then you just pull it up and wow. they're all just full of these fish, you know. So underfished. So we, fit it, we fit it all, fitted out all the boat. But, but since then... From when I arrived in Santa Barbara, George had been working on a wind generator and he was, uh, he had all that. You know, he waited till he got all that right and all set up on the boat. We had one that he threw off the back when we were under sail and it had like copper wire and magnets, this thing and turning around and it makes the energy and charges up the batteries. Wow. We just ran that while we sailed with a propeller out the back and... Uh, when we were at anchor, he had one that you pulled up in between the uh, the foresail and the mast. You know, there was kind of a double headsail. You put it up in that double headsail in the centre one and had the wind generator going when you're when you're at anchor. It was really neat because we had the the stereo going all the time, like twenty four hours a day. You know, because you're kind of you know you kind of want to snooze in that, but you want to kind of make sure everything's all right. But he's always sleeping the in the cockpit. We had bean bags, you know, and he just filled the cockpit up because it had a centre cockpit mm. and George had always sent in there. And one time I heard him go over, but he always made you wear a safety harness. Mm. He was George was really safe mm. with everything he did, you know, which was really good. And I felt fairly safe with George because he came from like a sailing family. His dad had sailboats and different boats. 
Yeah, because yeah. in those days, like, no one's coming to help you if you, oh, if exactly. you blow it out at Oh, scene. exactly. And back then it was, yeah, we didn't have any navigation off the, off the satellites. It was all you took your sights from the sun. And I, I knew a bit about the stars. I had this star book and I knew a bit about what stars was. And then George was taking sights on the stars too. He'd take the scope out of the, the, uh, uh, the sextant. Yeah. So that he could see it in the night and he'd bring it down and you could still see the horizon kind of on a starry night and he was taking star sights. He was really good with his navigating. Because when we ended up near Tahiti, he was real safe and he wanted to go in between the island we wanted to go, which was Uahuni out near Bora Bora, and Tahiti's about, uh, he wanted right in the centre. And then one morning he said, oh, Chris, look at this. And you're seeing a peak out there and a peak out there. And that we had to go to that peak to go through customs or that peak to go for a surf. So we went to that peak <laughs> to surf. Surf, <laughs> yeah. of course. Jimmy. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, what's that journey look like on the boat? Plot it out for us. How do you yeah, get from 20, – 27 days it took. From California from to California Uahini? To, yeah, yeah, to Uahini. It took yeah. 20 – but we had, we had a lot of days of headwinds. There was uh, – apparently there was a chain of Chabasco spinning – and it was like we had like – we thought we'd made the southern hemisphere because right in the middle of the ocean it, it meets together because you've got the northeast trades and the southeast trades on each side and the chop, there's no wind and the middle of the ocean is just like chopped like that, just hitting together, you know. And then, then we're, we, we were in that and I thought, oh, we made it into the southern hemisphere, we were thinking, you know, we'll be going. And then this fucking wind started coming out of the southwest right on our nose and it was like it for a week – we were just pounding, you know, and with this headwind and all this chop from everywhere, and we just had the stereo on, and we and we had a had a tape deck that turned itself over, so it just used to fucking play and play and play. What, what was on high rotation? <laughs> well, then it was the Rolling Stones on that oh, one, I remember. Yeah, yeah, but we had some good ones. We had a lot of good music. That was my job before we went to get all the music, you know, together. Yeah. And were you getting crook from that? I mean, the seasickness must have been pretty chronic. Oh, if I'd only get seasick if I had the smell of diesel. Right. You know, uh, I never – if if you started up the motor or something like that, it would make me sick. Hmm. I'd always go up if I felt sick and just throw a bit of salt water on me. You kind of feel all right then. Okay, and it's a 20 – yeah, but some people do do get seasick from the movement too on, mm. on a boat. But Mm-mm. luckily, I didn't. So it's a twenty-seven day straight sail to Huahini, no stops. You... Yeah, yeah, we just went straight there. Wow, yeah, gunned. we just went straight there. Yeah. Oh, and what just was that like so, pulling up? Yeah, it was great. I remember one time we were a long way out, and there was this little fucking trawler heading heading north, and it was even further out than what we did. And I got the binocs, and I put it on, and it had. Ecuador on the back, you know. So they were probably doing a cocaine run, I reckon, right yeah. out wide. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah, that was a bit. We didn't see a lot of boats, and then every time, because he was so good with his navigation, he'd be really stoked when there's a shipping line, because there's certain lines that the ships are meant to stay in, the big ships. Mm. And when you're meant to be on a shipping line, you generally see a ship. You know, somewhere, and so you know, you knew that you were on. And that when it was your watch, you would say, "If it if it stays in the same place, fucking wake me up, because we'd be on a collision course with it." Right. You know, if it stays in the same spot on your 
on your compass, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Fuck, man. And yeah. it, was it challenging being at sea? I mean, uh, I think my old man says, or my uncle was saying that, like, you know, never go to sea with your best mate because uh, by the end of it, they're not going to be your yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I remember, remember Woody asked me that. Yeah, what was it like? And I, and I said, I, I reckon I should have been keel-holed. <laughs> <laughs> because I used to talk me face a lot, you know. But now I understand George a lot. I should have shut up a lot more, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't always speak, speak me mind. And in terms of uh, your seamanship, no, no, at that we time? got on. Yeah, I got on pretty good with all that, you know. Yeah. I got. I George would laugh at me, you know, when when I fish because I wasn't a real good fisherman, you know. He'd always laugh and say, "It's your turn to get the fish," because we'd. We, we used to get flying fish on the deck all the time because we'd always have the lights on through the night, you know, with the, with the battery going. <laughs> Good. <laughs> battery charger on the back. You'd have the lights on. And you'd always get flying fish on the deck. Well, they were just a hell bait. George would put a hook right through their guts and out the tummy and throw it off and you'd always, you'd go for a little bit of slick on the water, you know, a little bit of rubbish in that. Mm. And you'd get a mahi-mahi. And so we were eat that. Like a lot of times you only cut one side off, you know, because you didn't didn't have enough room in the freezer or something, you know, for it. But yeah, it was always – yeah, they were quite a good fight, you know, the mahi-mahi. Oh, yeah, they're yeah, huge. Yeah, and then they change colour when you bring them up. Such good eating. That's crazy. So good, yeah. At sea. Yeah, having... George, he's, he's still like George, you know, really loves supplying his own food like that, being able to do that, you know, and – that's kind of part of his life, you know. Uh, yeah, being able to kind of look after himself like that. He's been a gun fisherman for so long. Yeah, I mean, well, that was his. That yeah. was his job. He yeah. was. A, he was a cray fisherman. Is that first right? When he I left actually school. didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never knew too much about how he uh, made money or, or, or managed yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. to fund the life. And then he got into his in his into his cameras, you know, mm, which he was pretty innovative with that and. Got a fair bit of work doing that. What an innovator. How many inventions or at least you – know, You know, there was an American guy living here and he reckons that there's a greeno that had this that, – that is uh, documented as one of the makers of the, the sewing machine, the, the, uh, the movement of a sewing machine somehow, whether it's off the treadle or – because they came from Boston, the family. You know, they're a little bit – that English talked a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, they weren't like from the other, from the West Coast. Huh. Yeah. Wow. And so after the, uh, the, the so you arrive in Huahini. Yeah, that was like arriving in Huahini was right at the start of Bastille Day. And we came in late in the afternoon. We went around. You had to, you had to kind of sail by and then around kind of and tack up wind through in the Fieta, uh, Fiti, the, the main town. Ah, what's it called? Fare, the main town. Uh, and then as we were coming in, we heard these drums going and there was all these fucking racing canoes across the bay, you know, the, the hollowed out canoes yeah. racing across the bay and it was the start of Bastille Day celebrations. And for two weeks there was all bands in the main street and all these festivals. It was unreal. It was the best... Yeah, you almost thought, oh, you know, it's the old time South Seas. All these fucking tamaray drums were going. And Super traditional yeah, Polynesian yeah. culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fantastic. And everyone had come from all over the island, you know, into the main town. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, Bastille Day is like a, yeah, a French we, day. And but when like... we went to Tonga, 
kind of the same thing happened. We went in the Tonga and, and the princess was getting married. No way. And there was huge celebrations there too. It was it, great. It's crazy how how cosmic your, your journey Yeah, it's really. Was, when but, I think but, back on that, I thought, fuck, that happened too. <laughs> You're arriving in these places and getting to see these huge upwellings of energy and, and celebration from these local communities, almost as though they're welcoming you guys, even though they're not. But in yeah, a sense, yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, Maybe yeah. they don't know they are. Exactly. You know? like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I'd heard about this yacht. Shelley had sailed on it. This friend, oh, it's my son's mum that, that lived in Hawaii. And she sailed on this boat called Flying Cloud. And it was there. It was a it was a it was a little real pretty ship, a schooner, where the little masters first and the big masters at the back and real low to the waterline wood schooner and it was there anchored to the to the shoreline, you know. And there was a few old classic yachts there, you know, like that. It was yeah, they anchor one one they put an anchor out and then a rope to the shore. Like that. Mm, okay. Yeah. And what about the waves in, in Huahini? I mean, it become pretty localised at a point, I believe. Uh, it probably did. It wasn't like that. The, nobody really surfed there when I was there. No. Nah. One one family came and they made like a restaurant just as you walk out of town. They put this restaurant on piers and the kids, the kid surfed. But that was the first local guy that I saw. But I'd heard people been back there in later years and there is a bit of a local kind of scene there. There was a couple of American guys living there when I was there. It was a bit of a stop-off point for a few people because you know who was there with his family living in a treehouse? was John Severson. Right. When we were there. So, John, I couldn't believe that. Is that, that. the dad of Ben Severson? Or? No, that's the guy that started Surfer Magazine, oh, John okay. Severson. right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He was living in a treehouse around the corner from, from the Bali High Hotel. No way, yeah. man. Yeah, it was just, it what? was a real stop-off point. Well, stop-off in terms of it was on the, the yachting route. Yeah, yachting or maybe people had heard about it. Right, you know? okay. Yeah, had heard about maybe Uahini. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was like that. There was another guy, a couple other guys there doing drug runs from somewhere and that was their stop-off point, taking pot, you know, yeah, through. of course. Somewhere, yeah. Can't go anywhere in those yeah. days uh, in the surfing world without running into yeah, some traffickers. Yeah, oh, always like that. It was always like that. They were the ones that you run into. Yeah. And you scored the had that. I could have had the gone that way if I wanted to, but I never never had that. I had plenty of asks and opportunities, but I never ever bothered. Totally. Totally. You know, what it was, was too that? much oh too much on your brain, I reckon. Fully. I don't want any anything on my brain. So I remember when I went to Hawaii on the plane, the guy in front of me, right when we were hopping off, he hopped off first and his wallet fell out of his pocket and it was so fucking thick with money. And I thought, fuck if I keep that, nothing will go right for me. And so I picked it up and found him and give it to him. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, I thought, you know, just what you say, I thought, oh, fuck, nothing will go right for me. Bad luck. Yeah, yeah. You'll gotten fortunes. Yeah, that's right. So I must have thought like that, you know, to have those thoughts back then mm. when I think back on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting why you 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 didn't go that way of of trafficking and and like when it was so common and it was such a kind of an easy kill in those days mm-hmm. uh given mm-hmm. the the lack of you know security and yeah. uh, x-ray machines and all that kind of stuff 
Um, well, all, all my, you know, got all these guys that I knew that did it, you know, that was their thing, you know, like I didn't want, yeah. I didn't want to bother with it, yeah, myself, but because I, I kind of seen what had happened to people too at different times, you know, with it, you can you can get too deep too easy, you know, yeah, and 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 you're ultimately supplying people. You know, there's some pretty heavy karma attached to oh, supplying exactly. Oh, exactly. yeah, hard yeah, drugs yeah. Exactly. To, to people. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you could really, like that was a thing in the late 60s there, as you say, when you're talking about Kevin. You know, Kevin had some ins and outs with that through the people that he met, over, you know, in time. He was all right when he went surfing. Like when I was in the treehouse, one morning I was walking back along the beach and I said it was when they were mining the back beach, and there was this fucking left bank come from the point, and it went all the way past that coffee tree rock in the, the end of the beach, right up to nearly the creek, this left. And it was like it for about a year or two. And I'm walking the beach early one morning, the sun was coming up, and there was a guy out there. And I seen him drop into this left, and he fucking went into the tube. and thought, oh, he's fucking eating it, you know, and I walked along, probably looked at a bird and that, and then I looked back up and I seen him popping out the end. It was Kevin. He'd come up to check out what was going on up here and he, he came in, he must have seen me walking the beach, knew where I was, you know, and he'd come in and we were talking and he said, oh, how can you do it all the time, you know. I said, oh, you, well, you used to do it when you were here all the time. How come you don't want to do it now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, as I talk about his mum, he's always doing it, you know, going away and just surfing all the time when he should have been at school. Mm. Uh, and it, like, Yeah, he, sa- he just said, but I kind of thought, I always thought that he he used to be one of the surfers that Paul always shot, you know, and maybe at times he was a little bit difficult, you know, and but then Wayne came and, and, and Paul was filming Wayne all the time and didn't really – and I thought maybe that Kevin was looking at surfing like that and, and just didn't want to know about it anymore because of that fact. Maybe I thought that, mm. which could have been, you know. Uh, right, so he lost interest at a certain point and, mm. and just – Yeah, but then when I – it was in – it was the summer of 68, 69 – I got it when I started shaping boards in Byron. I got a job at Brookvale with this guy, Phil Grove Surfboards, shaping. I wasn't all that good at shaping, but I give it a go and I was shaping some boards. And Kevin got a job standing at Nipper Williams, which was next door. And I made myself a new board, and Kevin said, I'm sanding, you know, give it to me, I'll sand it for you, Chris. And he was, I'd never seen him like that, where he was so stoked that he could do something, you know. Uh, that's what blew me out. He must have just got with the wrong people at the wrong time, you know, or something, I don't know. Lacking in, yeah. in, in purpose. But apparently and... he choked in his vomit. Right. It wasn't so much from an overdose and it was the same Jimi Hendrix did that too. They mm. say choked from his vomit from being sick, from having drugs. Mm. Uh, it wasn't like from the overdose or anything itself. How old was he, roughly? Oh, well, I was away when he died, and I'd say it was around about 75 when he died. Yeah, so he was about a year or two older than me. So he would have been, if he's still alive now, he'd be 66. Hey, oh, I'm sorry, 76. <laughs> I took 10 years off. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, so w- when he passed... 
how old was he? Well, I don't know. You'd have to work it out. I don't know why I'm so interested. <laughs> I guess the Hendrix so he's illusion. Probably, yeah, he'd probably be. He'd probably be. Uh, what did I say? Seventy. He'd probably be only about twenty, twenty-five maybe. Would he be that old? Twenty-three. No, he'd be younger. Oh, yeah, he would be. Yeah, twenty-three or something like that. Mm. Twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-five. If he passed in seventy-five, he'd be around that. Mm. Yeah, I think he was twenty-three. When he died, so he might have died earlier than that. Yeah. Yeah, and when you've seen good mates' lives destroyed by hard drugs, it's unlikely you're going to then go and start trafficking in a. Oh, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. But there was just too many sasas, you know, involved with that whole thing, you know. Yeah. And then, so sailing, you you sail onto Tonga, and then. Yeah, we went the whole lot. We went into the Cook Islands. We wanted to go into this island, Aitutaki. That was really interesting, Aitutaki, because they grew they grow oranges in, yeah, that's in the uh, the Cook Islands. Yeah, and they got a uh, a cannery there, and it's called Paro Ju- Paro Juice, I think. And wow. They do a they do a, an orange juice, and the, all the natives on that island they were growing they had oranges growing on Aitutaki and and sweet potatoes, and one of the locals took us out to their sweet potato patch, you know, and we filled up our basket. That was the basket. No way. We filled that with fucking sweet potatoes from Otutucky. <laughs> they make those that wicker island. baskets to last. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That thing looks mint still. <laughs> all those, uh, all those people on that island, they were real. They were real more agile mm. than the than the other Polynesians on other islands. You know, I, I think they might have had less sugar and maybe more orange juice. And ah, the para juice. Bit, yeah, the para juice. It wasn't yeah. fermented orange juice, was it? <laughs> Get your sideways, that stuff. They're, they're funny. They got on their 50-cent piece, you know. It's this tiki hanging with a huge dangler hanging down. No <laughs> way. They're real rude like that, the Polynesians. They're fantastic. That's classic. <laughs> Cook Islands, Raro, Tonga. <laughs> actually, uh, there was another Bondi guy, Clancy Dawson, who did an epic, iconic tracks trip there, actually. Got some... I think you got maybe got the cover or him or Blake Thornton, a guy from oh, yeah, River, got the cover out there. But yeah. some mental, just super blue slabs, more of a bodyboarding. Yeah. Hot well, bed, a guy, really. a guy got on to me when I'd arrived back in Australia. He he wrote to me and he sent me some pictures of himself sur- surfing on the main island, on a, on passes on the the roof passes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was a pretty good looking wave. Yeah. That okay. was on the main island of of Cook Islands. Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. Man, what a crazy time to be travelling through Polynesia too. Like, uh, you know, early 70s, like far out, man. There's technology, if it was slow to reach uh, the Western world, imagine, I can only imagine yeah. there. They're, they're living yeah. like a very traditional lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure, yeah, they do. It, 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 you know, just, you see, you know, uh, taro, you know, uh, fish, pretty, pretty basic rice, yeah. So, remember in Tonga they invited us around for a feast. Is Cap the Cappy coming? They said that's George, you know. The captain come. Yeah, it's yeah. We, that was good. What was it on was the menu? Really great. Oh, just everything, you know. They said, "Oh, we have a rest, you know, and then we'll come back in," you know. <laughs> and then the kids got into it. There was hardly any left when we went back. Amazing! <laughs> wow. Oh, it was so funny. George had to get his get a tooth fixed in Tonga. It's tooth had chipped, you know, and he they had free dental. 
Is that and right? He, yeah, and he went and he went in and he put on like a good shirt when he went in and that. And one day, and three times he had to go because it kept chipping off. So George made a little diagram of how the guy should make it the third time he went and he got it right that third time. But the third time there was a, look like, I think it was a Russian uh, cruise ship or something had come in and uh, George was going into town and they, they, uh, they're all kind of, uh, you know, selling all their beads and that because they do a lot of wood carving in Tonga. And uh, George come back. I thought, oh, they're going to fucking work him. He's going in like all done up, like he's a tourist, you know. He was, sh- you know, clean shaven, and it looked didn't look like George looks. <laughs> and he's come back, and he had beads around his neck and a carving in his head. Like. <laughs> a carver, did you say? Yeah, yeah carving. No carving. Oh, you know, carving. Wood carving. Yeah, 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 wood carving. Yeah. Oh man. So- yeah, oh, that the carver comes in the next one, the New Hebrides. That was the last one we went to the New Hebrides. That's where the carver were. Although we didn't have any, but. The New Hebrides? Yeah, which is Vanuatu. Oh, okay. Right, right, Vanuatu. right. Vanuatu. Yes, it was yes. the New Hebrides then when we went there. Yeah, yeah. That was always a dream place. I always thought, fuck, the New Hebrides, you know. There's a local kid from here that lives over there now. He's got a place over there. Yeah, my mum was just there for Independence Day actually um, a little while ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. not the so Independence Day. So still got but- French. Because it was a, a condominium, it was half French and half English, yeah, I, mainly French, though it was. Yeah, I don't know I the there. I don't know much about the joint, but uh, I'm assuming they got independence at some point and they celebrate that day. Oh, I see. Annually, yeah, independence. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, uh, yeah, not much on the offing surf as as far as I know. It's like kind of dependent on cyclones. Yeah, there is though. No, no, there's huh? surf there. Yeah, there's yeah. surf there. Yeah. Yeah, we had some pretty good waves there. Oh, you did? And like Maddie does too. Maddie gets some good waves. There's a there's a local guy from here that's local from over there mm. and he lives here, Mark. I call him Dark Mark because he's a native fella. Great guy. Always gets good waves. Mm. I think, oh, fuck, he must be a good guy. He always gets good waves when you surf from with him, yeah. But he goes back. He, he comes from the islands up on top, the Banks Islands. Right. And he often goes to Vanuatu surfing or go back home up the Banks Island surfing. He yeah. often goes over there. And there's another, the local artist from in here, he's got a concern at uh, Mark Waller. He's kind of donated and helping these natives in the Solomons where they got a bit of surf there as well. There's got to be waves all through there, I guess. It's, yeah, we'll, it's... See, we'll see Vanuatu and, and the Solomons, they haven't got the outer reefs. You know, the waves, if there is waves, they can come to the shore. Yeah, more accessible. Yeah, you know, they're not waves. like got the brief right round. Yeah, yeah. They reckon they're all the first inhabited by the, by the first to bail from Africa. Is that right? All, the, all, all Melanesians are like the first wave to bail from Africa when they went in wood boats. No way. Yeah. That's interesting. So they reckon the Polynesians come from the Philippines more. Interesting. And they come a lot later. Because I said to my Melanesian mate, Robbie Corrow, I said, how come the Melanesians don't like the Polynesians? Because this friend of mine went to this island up off the Great Barrier Reef out near the Solomons and I said, he had all the pictures and I went, they're all, Melan- they're all Polynesian, right in the middle of Melanesia. And he said, yeah, it's weird. When I go into, into town, uh, when they go into the main town, they, get, they don't like them. And I asked Robbie and he said, yeah, because Polynesians have been trying to get our islands for thousands of years. Because they were all the fertile ones, you know, that they, they didn't bother going on the atolly ones, you know, that didn't have the fertile soil. Apparently, that's how it goes, yeah. Well, that's a fascinating history. Yeah. 
Yeah, Polynesia and Melanesia. Well, that, that's where we got our stroke from, the Melanesians, the swim stroke. Right, yeah, uh, the, the, the body surfer, Tom, was it Tommy Tanner? Tommy Tanner. That's the, that's the photo. Tommy right. Tanner. Yeah. Look, oh, this is classic. See, my granddad, he, my granddad, he was in Manly Surf Club. He grew up in the, in the bay. This is on my mum's side. My granddad was, he grew up in the bay where the, where the ferry comes in the Manly. And he was a member of Manly Surf Club. When I used to go to Manly as a young kid, I got to know Snowy McAllister and I knew his background and I said, Snow, did you ever know Reg Roberts? And he went, yeah, I knew Reg Roberts. Well, apparently that island guy, Tommy Tanner, my, my granddad got a job on the water police and he, and he moved to the south side and he joined Bronte Surf Club and an islander made him an outrigger canoe that he took over there and he went out at Bronte in it and he nearly fucking wrecked it. You know what Bronte's mm. like. Oh, yeah. And so he thought, I'm just going to wreck it. And he, apparently he put it up on the wall in the surf club and Kenny McCaffrey remembered it as a young kid. Uh, on the surf club. I don't know who, if you know who Kenny McCaffrey was. He played for East in the late 40s. Okay. I had an uncle that played in the same team with him. Yep. That was our, when we first met, he was a good friend of mine that died a few years ago. Yep. He played for Australia and he's one of the, he was one of the, uh, he was the oldest one left of the kangaroos actually till he died about two years ago, Ken McCaffrey. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he, he remembered it up on the wall when he was a kid that, that kayak, That's a yeah. crazy connection, yeah. And, and all this like See, seafaring in canoes and stuff like that's that. That's him there, Ridge Roberts, the real dark fella. Wow, man. Yeah. So, See, they're dressed up, they have a Viking night and they're dressed up as Vikings. How do they look like surfers of the 70s with the blonde wigs on? I was tripping on that. Hey? I'm looking it's at a photo. It's in the 20s. The picture's taken in the 20s. See the surf club behind them, the old weather Yeah. Uh, they look like, uh, yeah, just a bunch of long-haired, a- acid-eating degenerates that could have yeah. been hanging out at Taylor's Camp dead nude in Kauai. It's the 1920s. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So you come through Melanesia and – Eventually, where do you arrive in Australia on, on, on George's boat? Uh, Moolabar. Sunny Coast? Yeah, Moolabar, yeah. No, 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 we come, sorry, first we come into Brisbane. I remember George said, oh, that's Point Cartwright, I know it anywhere. But it was fucking the end of, Strat- the end of what's this, Morton Island, is it? The second <laughs> one, the big one? <laughs> I love when people say that. Oh, no, that place anyway. And we went in and. And then we had the – when we figured out where we were, we seen the map and you meant to go right up the Calandra and around the sandbar to get in because there's a big sandbar that goes all the way to Calandra. That's how the ships come in. They go right up Calandra end and then in to Brisbane in the back of the sandbar. But George seen this trawler going over the sandbar and he had made his boat with a pump-up keel and we, we could get in some good anchorages with it because it only drew three foot with the, with the keel pumped up. And we pumped the keel up and w- followed the trawler across the sandbar and just went up the river. And we parked at the, at the Story Bridge at the police dock at the, uh, under the Story Bridge, yeah. And then we hired a car and went to Noosa and we stayed at Hayden Kenny's for the night. And then we come back to the boat and one of the cops come out and he says, fuck, the bloke's from the, from the uh, uh, what do you call it, the... Station. The customs, oh, customs, yeah. The customs were here and they, 
they're fucking, I reckon they'll come back soon. I reckon they're going to go right through your boat. And they did. They come back and they went through the boat and uh, they found so- – oh, yeah, they ha- we had some Playboy magazines. Oh, I did. And they <laughs> – and they, oh, yeah, they were really looking through all the pages of the Playboys, you know, for bits of drug or anything. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but they you... found some in one of George's bins. Oh, they didn't find any drugs, but they picked out because I got all these plastic containers, you know, that we put all food in and George made all these bins, these airtight compartments. We actually, at Santa Barbara, we filled the boat with water. We filled all the airtight compartments and filled it with water to see if it would sink. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't sink. It got so far and that was it. Yeah, yeah. Masterful. Yeah, so, so anyway, they pulled out one of these containers and the bloke says, oh, what's this in here? And George said, it better not be anything because I know there's nothing on this boat. <laughs> <laughs> and so there wasn't anything in there. Right. He was just calling him, seeing how he'd react, I suppose, to the cop. You know? Yeah, yeah, fire out. <laughs> you, you wouldn't put it past them to... Yeah. To dupe you and, and plant something in those oh, days well, that's in, right. in Brizzy, Joe oh, that's Elke, right. Peterson and Yeah, all because that you know what happened? They asked, who do you know? They asked George who he knew in Australia and he said Nat Young. No. And Nat Young had just been caught for some drug thing and he didn't know anything about it or caught for something wrong with drugs or something. something. And so the guy was putting him in. Oh, yeah, we've got a live one here kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, because a, a drug trafficker is <laughs> going to park his boat at the cop shop. Yeah, what? exactly. What the hell? <laughs> oh. mate, and oh, so but... returning back to Australia, how did you go, mate? Like just getting back into the, the groove of life here after yeah, a well, journey like that, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, had it yeah. changed you? Well, did you feel was, like a different person? We drove, in the, we drove into uh, Byron first. We got a car and we drove up to down to Byron. And we were just going around part over the railway. We're just going over the railway tracks, and there was a car pulled up right beside us in the middle of the road, and it was McTavish, and his head popped out the window. <laughs> so I seen him for years, and he went, "Lennox is six foot and pumping." <laughs> Straight back into the swing of things. Yeah. It's an easy transition. How good's that? Uh, and then we drove down here and we parked up. The road was up on top then and we're looking down and I could see things had changed, you know. But honestly, Jed, the surf through that period was amazing. It was just there was swells like that direction today. I'm calling that direction that we had out there today. I haven't seen it from that perfect Lennox direction for so long. I reckon it's because the Indian Ocean water's headed down. Low. It's headed right down into the southern Indian Ocean and they said it's going to be super dry. And then I said, I thought to myself, I bet we get strong norvalis because when we used to windsurf, the norvalis were so fucking strong and it blow all the sand over the road and that's what we got the other week. Four days of just fucking, I haven't seen Hell it like that for 30 years. Yeah. And we get swells like that. They were the direction swells you used to get that time, not because of the normally, it's because of the way the pattern is and the way the low has come up the side of that high and sitting out there. You see how it did that and we've got that direction. It's just, it's too much all the same at the same time when that happens. Mm. It's all generated from those, 
the temperature in the ocean. That's a fascinating insight, though. Those big picture understandings of weather patterns that you only get from having seen them come and go a few times. Yeah, well, also like back then we didn't have like weather maps on TV where they were telling you had to have a look at the fucking one in the paper Mm. and work out which way the wind's blowing for yourself Mm. and when you're going to get that low and things like that. You didn't have all the predictions that you have today. Mm. Yeah. And so uh, moving forward, like, you know, how has this, this, this last stretch of life been for you? You know, you, you've found oh, a just, place on the point at Lennox. Oh, you know, awesome, they've named honestly. they've named awesome. Parlour Wave. Oh yeah, I, I I say yeah. People say that to me, but it's just I just say oh fuck yeah because I've been here so long. What would they call it to you? You know, I've been in this corner for like ever since I really come back. You know, from there, I was up George's a little while, but I knew the lady. I met the lady that owned that other house across the road that I lived in for near thirty years. And she always, I was living up at George's end and she was always trying to, oh, Chris, rent it, rent it. You know, it was always sitting there. You can only have to pay, I think it was $35 a week first. And uh, eventually I rented it because I, I was starting to sail all the time then and I found I was in Lennox all the time, you know, so I thought, oh, I might as well rent it. Yeah, so that's how all that. And you've settled in nicely. I mean, you got some some well, young proteges, Woody, uh, James Woods. Turned, and... The place has turned unbelievable with those with that middle aged family guys with the young families. They've just taken on fitness and and living properly. You know, it's just fantastic. I was just talking to Benny Benny uh, Sattler yesterday, and he's saying, "Yeah, it's so good. The family with everyone together." He said, "You know, if something happened to me." I know that my kids and wife would mm. have someone there for them. It's like that, mm. the link with everyone. It's just really good. It's a really strong community here in Lennox. I really mm. a- and admire it's, it. It's, it's, it's just it's happened like that the last five, ten years. Yeah, you know? it has, huh? Like yeah. it, it, since I've been living uh, just out at Wardell, I've you know, watched the Bodie boys and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the ball and all and like this kind of renewed community spirit, I guess on the back of a, losing a couple of members of the community mm. to mental health issues and stuff like that. But mm. uh, it, it's epic to see, man, and these big fundraising stuff yeah, they yeah, do. Like terrific. they had one a couple of days ago, the 100K run. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, and they had that big one there where they got the over 700,000, that big one they had back in the flood time. Yes. When they did the fanning auction and they That's and the right. boys did the run at that at that time. Yeah, the goggles. It was all challenging. linked together. Yeah, yeah. It's that a, was fantastic. It just kinda of, feels like one thing after another here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's not often you see a, a community dig that deep and, and, and rip in for each other with those kind of values at the yeah. forefront, yeah, which is great. just health and fitness yeah. and community and yeah, yeah. it's it's, it's really great. Positive. It's how it's how community should be, you know what? Yeah, 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 and it kind of—I guess—that stuff gets lost in the in the you know consumer materials reality mm. where everyone's trying to earn yeah. more money and get a bigger house or a better yeah. house, and uh, it's, it's good to see a, a community step away from that. Yeah, and, and put in the such focus a on. in such an expensive kind of place too. You know, none of these guys are rich or anything, but they're making it. You know, here. Yeah, they're all tradesmen, and uh, yeah. uh, while you know, there's houses going for eighteen million on the hill overlooking yeah, yeah, the joint. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Plenty yeah, of there's plenty there. of yeah. That's right. No, it's great. That side of it's been great. Yeah, I'm 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 reading real estate. You know, like coming back and you know being able to work on boards. I just love it. Still, I still do some with the kids. You know, working on boards and I still make boards for guys. Like there's been a guy around from Port Stephens. It's just fucking 
wrapped in my boards. An older guy, he's not as old as me, he's about 15 years younger than me, but he's got to the stage that he, he loves surfing so much but he's had all these, you know, hip problems and he's been slowed up a bit but he, he's a really good surfer. He loves to go all over the wave and he wants a, a board that he can paddle good and still surf wherever he wants to on the wave and that's what I try to get when I shape, when I do a board, you know, for people. So so I'll never kind of give it up, you know, doing it. Brocky shapes, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I see yeah, around. Yeah, right. uh, there's a couple – well, there was one floating around my house actually. I didn't – Couple even, yeah. yeah. No, this one oh, out cool. the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. With uh, with uh, Machado, I called him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that man. was so good. Those veggies you bought us all, man. Mate, I uh, I was such just, a good gardener. I was wow. just thinking that he's a wizard, and uh, yeah, why I didn't bring you a, a big oh, bunch okay. of yeah, rainbow yeah. chard? We'll but I will come visit next you time. time. Oh, yeah, mate, please, love fantastic. that. I'll, uh, I'll, we can have a banquet of yeah. Veggies from the garden and uh, wattel pies. Yeah. A big stack yeah. of them. Big pyramid of wattel pies. Yeah. <laughs> Joy will know all about them, being from Evans Head. Yeah. Yeah, they did when they came back here because her, her dad had a trawler and it sank. Oh, wow. And so they had to, he had daughters and he had to go away. He went down Wollongong Way and then they eventually moved back up. Yeah. Oh, well, man, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, man, this will be one of the, the all-time great podcasts, I reckon. Oh, yeah, well, it's interesting, eh? Yeah. Mate, it's endlessly yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like we haven't even touched the sides. But, uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Unreal. Thank you so That's much. That's so Bobby. good, Jed. Yeah, no, thanks for doing it. It's been great. It's good to pass on the stories and have a laugh, you know, about things. And it's good. Any uh, any lessons or, or wisdom or... Uh, Anything you want to pass on to the? Yeah, I I think just what I said. You know, just try and just try and get your brain some good memories. You know, and yeah, you, you know, and then you, then you can be happy. You know, you can rest back and because when you get older, you're not doing as much activities, and it's good to be able to think back on yeah you know, your good good times in your life that you can dream about. It's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> no, thanks, Jed. It's good. Hey. Well played if you've stuck around this long. Now for a little bonus chat with Brocky. Uh, one final iconic Kevin the Head Brennan story and a little tidbit about the great author, the great pulp fiction author of Inner City and East Coast Australian Tales, Robert G. Barrett, a personal friend of Brocky, would you believe? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Can you cut it in? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, like when I used to when I used to ride the surfos and that up the north corner when I was real young, uh, the, we'd, we'd uh, go up the southern end and if someone fell off a board, we'd get it and paddle it out to them. You know, we used to love doing that, you know, just to be on a board and watch the surfers and you pick who you want to be out there, you know. And, that. and one time we went on one of these little walks up the southern end and we looked over to the, the danger sign on that rock in the southern corner near South Bondo Board Club where, the, where it was on the rocks, not there anymore, but you can kind of see where it was. And there was a, a shape, there was a, a guy stripped up, stripped naked, hanging in between the danger sign. And that was the first time I ever seen him and it was Kevin Brennan. He was right off the ground with no gear on, just fucking strapped out. And he went, he looked down at us, there was about four or five of us, little kids from North Bondo, and he's going, 
get us down, get us down. And we hopped up to walk and we heard these voices from over the board club, don't fucking touch him or you'll be up there with him. You know, we just caught him knocking off our money. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so they stripped him up, strapped him up there, yeah. Mate, that's funny you say that because that become a time-honoured punishment for theft in Bondi. I can remember a guy from my generation actually got done for the same thing, knocked a bit of money off from the local surf shop and uh, same thing happened, more or less stripped him nude and they locked him in the, the the front. You know, there was like a glass bit at the front, at the shop front, mm. but there was a roller door, so yeah, you could yeah, sh- yeah. you could shut someone in there on Campbell Parade <laughs> on the main drag at South Bondi, uh, Elksy Surf Store. I, I, I don't know if yeah, Elksy yeah. owned it at the time. Maybe he'd pass it on, but yeah, uh, they locked him in the front naked for uh, stealing from the till. Oh, wow. So yeah, uh, a time honoured tradition there in Bondi. Yeah, yeah. he was related to Keneally, I think Elks. Was Somehow. he? Yeah. Is that the guy that wrote? He's wrote a bit of. Yeah, he wrote. wrote a, he's a written bit. a couple of books. Yeah, he uh, he's has. been on this podcast. Uh, yeah, because he went to he went to Roland Fishman. Remember Roland Fishman? This is guy I used to make boards for. He's got the writers' studio. Okay. Down there, I think he went to him for inspiration. He's written this book on inspirations to write. Right. Roland Fishman. Yeah. The man. There's some yeah, been some I, epic I, epic literature that's come out of Bondi out of that surf scene. Monty Weber's got that book. Uh, Random Rogues and Ratbag Tales, I think it's called. Have All you right. read that? No, 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 no. And I've got a copy. I'll pass it on to you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and Elksy's had a crack. He's written a couple of really good books. Uh, Scum Valley, uh, Bondi, Barley and Beyond, I think, are the two. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's cool. Like these guys are documenting uh, a, a pretty, you know, let's be real, like it's a hardcore degenerate yeah, era yeah. of, of – inner city surfing like it there's a lot of drugs a lot of dysfunction and surfing is is the backdrop against uh which it, it all takes place but uh yeah it's a trippy one i mean i you know i'm in that same lineage in, in a lot of ways working mm. as a journalist mm-hmm. uh, the guy who got me into this trade uh luke kennedy now the editor yeah of yeah tracks. yeah i know luke yeah, yeah. i've sure met him years ago before he was a tracks guy and that you yeah know, he was a, re- he was a relief teacher at, at was, Waverley yeah, in those yeah. Days. yeah i yeah. often talk to him when i went back there you know i'd often go back for a visit for a few days yeah. yeah, it's this trippy thing that, that that's part of the, also the, mm. the culture down yeah. there. And you can even go back to Robert G. Barrett and the, the, Les, yeah, yeah. the Les Norton yeah, series. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, all that's right. set around Bondi and yeah. the cross. I guess Actually, Dennis, Dennis Lindsay's uh, missus at the time wrote the thing for Bob to get a bursary for his first book, uh, uh, get a sponsorship for his first book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, the, to get the grant for his first book. So you knew Robert G. Barrett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, from your yeah, vintage. Bobby Barrett, yeah, yeah. No yeah. way. I remember he was living on the Central Coast. He was living at North Avoca. When he, I think when he died he was living at North Avoca okay. too. I remember I went down and I told Graham about the Puna butter, you know, the marrow butter. Oh. This is way back, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is when I, because I, I used to go to Avoca quite a bit from down here and uh, they used to go to the King Cumber Hotel on a Sunday afternoon was a big thing at the King Cumber and I was at the King Cumber and Bobby Barrett's, oh, Rocky, Rocky, he says, my mates told me about this puna butter, he said. <laughs> it was all got around the place really quick, <laughs> how to make the puna butter. Yeah, he was great. And then my other friend, Dave Spencer, who was like, he was like the top model, him and him and uh, Robert Watson were the top models through the 70s in the papers. Right. Robert Watson was actually in my class at school. And he'd always come to school with all his pants on, you know, like no cuffs on his pants, you know, cuffless. That was a big thing back then. And he ended up 
after being the top model, I think he ended up in a, a advertisement. Yeah. And I think he has a place at what he goes. Wow. Robert Watson, yeah. Because he used to ride a boogie and that. I'd love to run into him one time because he was a real fun guy at school. He was just a muck around with us. You yeah, know? it's rad, eh? Yeah. Like, I'm so grateful to have been able to go up there because, you know, not because it was a particularly nice place. I honestly couldn't wait to get out of there. I, I, I didn't, yeah, exactly. like, I didn't yeah, like it yeah. at the time. Yeah, you know, the yeah. waves were busy and, cre- and uh, average and, uh, you know, the congestion and stress of the city and, you know, like when you're a wayward young man, there's a lot of violence and drugs and, and, and carry on and riffraff you can get caught up in. But there was all of these influences, the literature, the music, yeah, that's you right. know, the that's surfing, right. the football, the wharves, like all, there was this melting pot. Uh, of influences that, yeah, I'm grateful to have been a, been a passenger and, and and witnessed all of that. It, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's shaped yeah. me and given me a, a immense amounts of gratitude just for living in places that are mm. more peaceful, mm. uh, but also retaining the culture from that place mm. in, inside mm. of me. So, mm. yeah, and I see it in you, Brocky, and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. mate, I, I'm so no, proud of you, great. mate, yeah, for the life you've oh, lived. Thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. Where you're right. at now. My dad, dad would be too, you know. And yeah. there's, there's people yeah. who will be dead set falling off their chairs that you knew Robert G. Barrett. Yeah, Bobby wow. Barrett, yeah. I remember, remember his, first, his first book was short stories. Uh, was it called The Real Thing? I think it was called. Maybe the first book and it was short stories and actually Australian Penthouse used to run them, the first stories. And that's where I first read one. It was called The Penthouse. Of course, of course. Well, you're, not, you're not reading it in the New Yorker, are you? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and it was... The fishing one, where it where they go fishing, and you're at Bond, you're at the Bondi boat sheds with a guy like Bob, the way he described the sunset coming up, you know, like you're a hard man, you know, like Bob was, and he goes out, they go out fishing, and they see this drop out at sea. It's a great, great. Story. So, what kind of a guy was he? Was he a, was he a, a tough guy or like yeah? What yeah, kind he of a... he actually worked in Byron at the. He was a boner at the meatworks for a long while too, Bob, like through the seventies. Bob Barrett was. Yeah, he wow. worked in Byron as so a boner. So he was a journeyman. The and he's like a blue collar. Yeah, well, guy. later on, I guess he got. When I mentioned Dave Spencer, he used to uh, write some of his books. In the end, he was like a fandom writer for him, for some of the later books. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, no, the classic. Yeah. All right, Brocky. All right, then. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>